really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So as you've undoubtedly noticed, this is not your weekly episode, but is in fact yet another bonus episode, as foretold by well, the most recent bonus episode, frankly. So today, we had a chance to sit down with Bruce Aitchison of the Happiness is Egg-Shaped podcast. I first became aware of Bruce and his great podcast back in March of 2020 when he appeared as a guest on the Scottish Rugby Blog podcast, a pod you'll be very familiar with if you're even an occasional listener here. I've, of course, added a link to that very broadcast in the show notes. But for now, I'm very happy to welcome the founder and host of Happiness is Egg-Shaped, Mr. Bruce Aitchison. Bruce, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth. I am so honoured to be part of a bonus. I don't think I've ever been a bonus, but also <laughs> you must have one of the coolest names for a podcast. <laughs> Thank you. It's, I still wonder if it's the best thing about the show. Well, let, well, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll find out, right? <laughs> uh, Bruce, I have to say, I already feel like we're fast friends. Thank you very much for joining us here today. It's fantastic. Yeah, um, the, the the rugby family is is so tight, and it's amazing how when you reach out to someone, often the answer is yes, and even if the answer is not yes, it tends to be a pretty polite thing that leaves the door open for something else. So, uh, you know, we've connected on social media. Social media gets a bad rap, but it's been good to me. And over the the period of time, certainly I've been on Twitter, I've built some pretty positive connections that have have given me a huge amount so i'm really looking forward to this and it's amazing to be here so thank you for the invite so some basic stuff just to start off i always uh like to ask my guests about their own rugby journeys um i have an inkling that yours is a pretty interesting one that's taken you to many different places Uh, how and when did you first start playing this game we love so much uh i football soccer was my first love uh, i'm from a very small village in the scottish borders which is the space between edinburgh and the border with england and rugby is the main show in all the small towns there every town has a rugby club and uh, most kids grow up throwing an egg around uh, they know their heroes because when they go into the bar after the game there's somebody there that's played for scotland or the british lions or has played 300 times for their club uh, that wasn't my upbringing but whenever i did go near a rugby club i always loved the feeling of community i was from a small village of about 500 people there was about 60 kids in my whole school from wow. five years old to 11. so we did everything i didn't know the difference between boys and girls in sport because the girls needed us to play in netball and we needed the girls to play in football and cricket and we played a version of rugby a tag rugby type game uh, and that was just how it was you, you spent your evenings carrying a ball down the street to play in the park and because there wasn't enough kids we used to play football with adults and with little kids and with your peers and we learned a huge amount from that the primary school just couldn't offer 
rugby because there wasn't enough kids and yeah. there wasn't the facility to do it. But then you get on a bus and you go to secondary school. So my secondary school was called Gala Shields Academy. It's about seven miles south. And the Gala Rugby Club is known throughout the world. There are rugby players that have come out of there. Gregor Townsend, the current Scotland coach, was in my oldest brother's year, the team that won the Scottish Schools Cup. Wow. Uh, um, Richie Gray, who's now changing the world and working in NFL on tackle technique and trying to improve how gridiron players uh, tackle to prevent injuries and concussion. Chris Patterson, who's Scotland's second uh, highest cap winner and, and most points scorer. Mossy was in the year above me at school. So Gala Academy has a, a rich, rich history of sending people out into the rugby world and making it a better place. And I went down there as an 11-year-old kid not having played in a game of rugby, didn't really know the difference between a, a loose head prop and a fullback and arrived and was just welcomed into this this game that didn't make any sense. It's bloody complicated. There are funny vocabulary. It was just, what is this thing? But all my mates were playing, so I was all in. And the three PE teachers there, a guy called Rob Moffat, who has coached Scotland Day, Edinburgh, Scotland Sevens, Romania, uh, has impacted on so many rugby people um, throughout the world. Uh, was one of them, David Wright, who is an amazing guy and, and had a huge influence on me when I became a trainee teacher. I worked with him. And then Bill Noble, who I actually live next door to his son. I work in the same school as his son. And wow. he used to bring his son on a Saturday morning when we had fixtures because he didn't have childcare. Uh, so I've I've known him since he was about five or six years old. And wow. he, he was in the changing room with us as a senior rugby player at school when we won the Scottish Cup. And my next door neighbor was in there as a 10-year-old kid looking at us as, as if we were his heroes. So wow. the Regala Shields Academy was, was where that flame, that spark sort of took on that flame. And I played, I, I was okay. Um, I had good skills. I've got I was good at passing. I loved to kick. I loved yeah, you, to be the you, goal you've kicker. Played, you played at 10 for the most part, is that right? Yeah, but I, I, I actually, my first game of rugby was a loose head prop. Um, huh? And I can remember, so here's how much you must love the game. When we had a fixture list at school, we used to play against the big private schools. Now, these kids had been playing since they were five or six years old. They had lots of kids to choose from they had facilities so my first game of rugby was against a school called Stuart's Melville who the school I'm in now we play against and have a great rivalry oh, wow. with but my first game I can show you the pitch that I played my first game of rugby on I didn't touch the ball in the whole game and I think we got smacked by 60 points we we didn't score um, but we loved being on the bus. The changing room was fun. Wow. We went and watched the first 15 play on the big paddock. And obviously we all looked and thought in five years time, we want that to be us. So there was lots of little things that just added up to this feels a bit like home. And I got to about 16 and I was playing schoolboy rugby on a Saturday morning. Then I'd go straight to play soccer on a Saturday afternoon. And, and I was okay. I was I was decent at soccer, but unfortunately I'm slower than a fortnight in the jail. So that <laughs> that put pay to a lot of progress in, in athletics for me. But rugby was the thing. And I, I got selected for Scottish schoolboys under 18s and I had a decision to make. I was going to try and keep going with soccer or was I going to choose rugby? And, and because I was getting a little bit of attention, rugby won. Uh, I, I played rugby. I played 
for the gala club when I was still at school, which now I look at and think the chances of a just freshly turned 17. I think I was, I think I was 17 by about three months and I played my first game of adult rugby. And one of the first things I did, I got my hands on the ball and I sidestepped my oldest brother who swore at me as I went past them. And as I thought I was going in under the post to score a try, I got absolutely smoked by a horrible open side flanker called Gareth Brown. Um, and as I came up, it was like a cartoon. I spat out grass because he'd wrapped <laughs> up my arms and I, my face smacked the, the turf and I, because I think I was smiling because I thought I was going to score. I'd got some grass and I went, luckily it wasn't my teeth. Um, but I just loved it. I loved everything. I loved, especially playing at 10. I'm a, I, I talk a lot as you are beginning to understand. I loved to organize. I loved having the ball. I loved dictating play. I loved kicking it for miles. I loved uh, bringing the forwards into the game. I loved setting off the backs. I loved kicking goals. I liked it when the whole place went silent and everybody was watching me kick it between the sticks. And I, I just loved it. And when I went to uni, um, I, I, I kept playing. I was involved in Scottish elite squads, but I'd suffered a knee ligament injury that I don't think I ever properly recovered from. And and while that wasn't the main reason, I just didn't bloody work hard enough. Mm. And then at the end of uni, um, I went off to Hong Kong for four years and played there and started to coach. And then my knee really got wrecked and I came back to Scotland, coached. Uh, I don't know if you, you know the Mighty Ducks movie. Yes. Oh, yes. You know, so Emilio Estevez has the the kid and he becomes the captain. And then in the second movie, the kid steps aside to let a better player play. And he says this thing to the Emilio Estevez character. He said, I always knew I was going to be a better coach than a player. Hmm. That's me. I always knew I was going to be a better coach than a player. Um, and I started coaching really young. I, I worked with some great guys that we might talk about later. I became a head coach, young, thought I knew everything, realized now I knew absolutely jack diddly squat, um, but but learned quickly and then coached other clubs, had a little bit of success. Um, I've been overseas. I do a bit of coach education. I just, I just love it. I love being involved in the game. And now I'm a, a school teacher where my time is a big demand in school. So I coach the school team and they are a pretty serious rugby program. Uh, good kids, all hungry for the game and being part of something special. And for me, that's a huge honor because it's everything I love about the game and they're a pretty captive audience. They can't run away from me because they're stuck <laughs> at school. So uh, it's, a, it's a nice environment to be in. And I, I do lots of talking. I host the podcast. I have announced at Murrayfield and for 65,700 people, first game I announced for was Fiji. Uh, which was a challenge um, with some of the Fijian names, but one of oh, my right. best buddies—that's a one trial of my by best fire. Buddies is a—he's a Fijian, so he helped me out with the phonetics of it, and I, I think I got through it reasonably well. Um, I host hospitality. I, I go to awards dinners. I speak at dinners. I, just any opportunity to be involved in the game. This is my social event. I don't go to the pub or the bar. My social is going to rugby things and uh, I meet like-minded people, I meet old friends, I meet new friends and I just, I absolutely love it and 
when people like you reach out from, you know, the chances of us meeting in person are reasonably slim, but mm. look at this, we're, we're connected and, and now we're making a friendship that hopefully we will connect again somehow. So that's what the game's given me. Uh, amazing relationships, great experiences and memories that are going to last a long time. Well, you mentioned, uh, you know, feeling like you knew everything as a coach and then realizing you knew nothing. It, it feels like a lot of everyone knows that players start at one level and then get better throughout their career. And they, there's a progression, <clears throat> but it's almost like people assume a coach sort of comes in as good as they're going to be. And it will always be like that. And they, it, we seem unwilling sometimes to accept that there's got to be a learning curve for coaches as well. And you are going to get better as time goes on. Do you feel like it's in some ways harder to be a coach because those expectations to come in and just, okay, you've got all the answers start winning. I think it's, it's like all these things. It's like getting a new job. Um, something I remember someone called me up once to ask about a job they were going for and they started to recite documents and policies and all this kind of stuff to me and I said look whoa 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 they don't think you know everything about the job what they need to find out is are you the right person to do the job so the questions they're going to ask are going to be things like your competencies and your experience and they want to know what your values are I think now there's a greater understanding of what that takes and you don't have to listen to a coach or a player for very long in an interview where they'll talk about family culture environment something around those terms so now the tactical and technical are obviously very important things you can learn that from a book or from youtube or from google or from speaking to people but taking time to create the right environment and get mm. people in the right spaces is is a challenge and it can take longer than others i've i've done it well in some places i've got it wrong in others i'm still learning um one of the things i think that is crucial is that you are given support that first role i had i think even if i'd been offered it i wouldn't have taken it because hmm. i was young and cocksure and thought I've got all this experience I know how I want it to be and this is how it's going to be so I'm not sure I would have listened so you know hindsight's the greatest gift given to man if I knew then what I know now I probably would have done a much better job but I don't uh, Dave Aldred who was a kicking coach or a, a mindset coach I suppose did a lot of work with Johnny Wilkinson I heard him say don't give yourself a hard time about the past. What you were doing at that point was the best job you could with the experience and knowledge you had at the time. And mm. I quite like that. I've forgiven myself for a few things with that logic. Um, all that said, I want to get better. There's still things I'm learning. This morning, the WhatsApp was going crazy with the guy who's the director of rugby at the school I'm in just now because we're planning a tour to Italy and Ooh. we've got things we want to cover and we've got things we want to get done. But um, more and more, I'm realizing that actually my role as a coach or my strength as a coach is the relationships I have with people and um, hopefully getting them into the right place where they can perform. And the thing I think I've learned probably really quite recently is I can give them all the tools in the best environment, but actually if they want to get better, it's up to them. Mm. And, and that's, uh, you know, we see some of the people that have just played in the Commonwealth games, for example, some of those players have got real stories to tell. Um, mm. especially in the women's game, I love Tim Walsh, the Aussie Simmons coach. He's a great guy. And he has done a great job in taking athletes from other sports and creating sevens players. Hmm. He 
you know, taking the dancers, the Levi sisters or Charlotte Kaslick from rugby league or the netballers that he's, he's taken on, he's just given them the environment for them to go and give it a shot. And they've done really well. They didn't grow up in rugby. So that, or oh, you have to be this kind of person, or you have to have had this experience. You, you know, you've only been playing for 10 months. Yeah, but look how well I'm playing after mm. 10 months. And and I love that. And there's lots of bravery in that. And that might be that that becomes the norm in a few years time. Um, but coaching is a, it's an amazing thing. It's not for everyone. Sometimes the best players are not the best coaches. I certainly wasn't the best mm. player. I'm not the best coach, but well, as, I, as, I as a teacher, it. as a teacher, I'm sure you already know, you know, knowing how to do something does not mean you can explain it to other people. Yeah, it's exactly. Definitely and, a separate you know, skill entirely. Yeah, and it's it's one of the things I find interesting in football. I remember seeing an interview with John Terry a few years ago who played for Chelsea and for England and was a captain and was a leader. And uh, I don't know why, but he was asked this question, would you be a tracksuit manager or a shirt and tie manager? <laughs> and his response was, I'd like to be a shirt and tie manager. Now, to me, and I could be wrong, but to me, that made me think he wants to be seen to be the manager, not necessarily to do the work of a manager. Now, I, I love nothing more than getting lost in a rugby session with a whistle in my pocket, a plan in my head, and people in front of me who, you know, I, that was one of the things that I, I had this light bulb moment once when I was coaching a men's team and it was pre-season. So, and I was never a let's flog them to death, just run, run, run. But there was always a running element because I liked the mental bit of I've got to just keep going. And I remember them lining up on the goal line. I had the, the fast guys on the dead ball line. I had the middle five on the goal line and I had the props and hookers about four or five steps forward nice and i remember thinking there's 50 guys waiting for me to blow a whistle they've given up their own time it, it was a thursday night it was half past eight and i thought these people could be anywhere they wanted to be and they've chosen to be here and i'm going to blow a whistle and they're all going to run i i just thought how lucky I'm like, this is amazing. These people are doctors and joiners and teachers and they could be hmm. on holiday and they've come here <clears throat> for me to tell them to run the length of the pitch. <laughs> and, and, that, and I that, just, that's when you became mad with power. Oh, of course. And then I <laughs> give me drop and give me 50. But it, it, it's a, it is a really powerful thing. Um, and you can make or break. Now I, I had a coach who nearly finished me. Um, I, I nearly, threw it away like I was dark and um, the game had just lost any enjoyment and then he tried to speak to me about it and he pretty much made it worse and I was I was done and it was a big reason that I took a big life decision to 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 go somewhere else um, and it, that was tough and I look back on that now and I thought I hope I've never ever made anybody feel the way that guy made me feel mm. As a coach, this isn't even on, on my script. It just occurred to me while you were talking. Is there such a thing as an uncoachable player or is it just that somebody hasn't made the connection that needs to be made? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to say that. I'd love to say that it's just the connection. But there are players who, you know, self-destruction is, is a massive thing. 
um, and that comes from the experience and the environment that they've been part of previously. So connection can be really tough. You know, I, I've been a teacher for now a long time, um, over 20 years, and there are kids who appear to be unteachable. But the issue that I have when I, you know, when I've been a teacher and I've spoken to teachers about is we've just not found the right way to teach them. And it's the same with a player. Mm. The, the rugby I've been involved in, though, the, the people are volunteering to be there. You know, I've not really worked in the professional game, so to speak. Oh, I see um, what you mean. Yeah, so th there's so, already inherent buy-in or they wouldn't be there in the first place. Yeah, and that was, you know, the, well, why why did you never come to training? And they'll give you the answer. They think you want, oh, I'm busy. Oh, I've got this. Oh, I've got that. But I always said to players, so pre-season was an interesting one for me. Um, lots of clubs in Scotland will train on a Saturday. So they'll train on a Saturday morning in the summer. Now, my, when I became a head coach, straight away, I said, I'll never ask you to do a Saturday training session because as a coach, I don't want to be with you on a Saturday morning. <laughs> but what I'm going to ask you to do is we're going to train on a Monday night. So the, the tradition in Scotland is you train on a Tuesday and a Thursday night as a club. And I said, during pre-season, I'm going to ask you to attend Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. That means on a Friday evening, you can go for a beer, you can go away for the weekend, you can go to your wedding or your stag do or your what, but, but give me your Monday way and turn up on a Monday even if you're hungover, or you're tired, you're emotional, whatever it is, please turn up on a Monday. And then it became a have to make it something they want to be part of. So I tried to make, I remember having a fight with a club committee because I said, I need more balls. They said, why do you need more balls? I said, what do you mean? Why do I need more balls? We're, we're rugby training. I want to make them better at rugby, but it's pre-season. I know it's pre-season and I want to use rugby balls because when the treat, the season starts, I want them to already have improved their skill. And within that, you can help them improve their fitness. So yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one. And, and coaching is, is tough. It's not for everyone. Players, there's a number of players that have walked away from the game and I'm sad that they've walked away. And then actually when I reflect back or I've met them in future, I find out there was something else going on. Now time is the thing every single coach on the planet would ask for, for more, whether you're an international coach, a premiership coach, a sevens coach, a club coach, a school coach, the one thing everybody wants more of is time. And it's the one thing that you're never going to get more of. So how mm. do we make, the best use of it and sometimes those players are only in front of you for four hours a week so how do you build a connection with someone that is spending the majority of their time far far away from you away from being under your nose and it, that's tough and that's where I look I sometimes give myself a little bit of forgiveness if there's someone that maybe I didn't make the connection with. Is there a moment you can remember as a player when a coach you know, really got through to you, said something, did something that made you sort of have an aha moment that you feel like you've had the ability to turn around and give that to somebody else? I was spoiled because of those three guys I mentioned as my PE teachers and rugby coaches at school. Um, it probably will come across as disrespectful, but I've, I didn't really have anybody as good as those three after so it was it was tough um but those three were just immense and i remember rob moffat saying to me why uh he, he said something it was he was sort of talking about performance and mindset and this was way before this was a thing or you know anybody mm. had read carol dweck's book and it was in the gym hall at galashiels academy and he said what is it makes you want to play 
And I gave that answer that 16-year-old kids, I think, usually give, I want to win. And he went, I disagree. Now, I didn't have an answer. Um, and he said, I think for you, it's personal performance. And I gave him a look probably of, you need, you need to explain because I, I don't know where you're going. And he said, well, if you get beat, but you've played well, I think you'll probably be quite happy. And he was right. Now, whether that's selfish, I don't know, or whether, but, uh, you know, that's, and you can scroll through social media and you'll get all these memes and, but, but I played because I loved the game. Now I've been caned by 60, 70 points. I've also been in teams that have won by that, but I've won by a point. I've lost with the last kick of the game. The, the result, the older you get, you realize is actually out with your control. What is within your control is how you perform. So there's there's one game in particular I can remember playing from a club team. Um, and I didn't get a huge amount of individual praise at this club, but I got one bit and it was after a, a pretty awful performance. It was the next week in the changing room and the captain highlighted me and said how poor the team was the week before, apart from H.E. And he, he gave a little couple of sentences about what I did that nobody else did. And I, I think I probably grew about six feet. Now, I wasn't a physical animal at all. I like to kick and pass and use my mouth. I wasn't putting in tackles <laughs> or that, but it was, it was an, it was by an amazing. Had, by then you had learned to use your mouth for things besides chewing grass. Ah, uh, yeah, exactly. Well, I, you know, referees used to rock up and go, oh, no. And I used to, my, my own teammates used to tell me to shut up. Um, I just, I used to, I, I played in an old boys tournament a few years ago and there was a guy in the opposition who played for Scotland, Cami Glasgow, a fabulous guy. Um, we were playing against them and I was just having a field day because when I decided to play old boys rugby, it was like a second lease of life. And we were playing in this over 35s tournament and I, I was just at it. I was throwing silly passes. I put the ball through my legs. Uh, I grubber kicked it through someone's legs and then they body checked me and I rolled around like a Spanish footballer. And uh, <laughs> But the referee the referee gave the penalty and all this kind of stuff. I just loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And at the end of the game, we're shaking hands. Now, I'm not fit, right? I was never that fit. And as we're shaking hands, this guy, Cammy Glasgow, who I've sat at Murrayfield and watched this guy play for Scotland, and he was a poster on my wall when I was a kid with the Scotland squad and things. It's a very, it's a very fake-sounding name. Uh, no, Cammy is absolutely 100% <laughs> a real guy. And he said to me, you must be one of the fittest people I've ever played against. And I, I said, why is that? He went, because the first thing that goes when people are tired is their mouth. He said, you've never shut up the whole way through. <laughs> And while that was probably an insult, I took it as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd wear that one like a badge. That's great. Yeah. Well, if I can, if I can bring it back a little bit, I do want to know. I want you to tell us a little bit about the origins and you know the very early beginnings of Happiness's Egg Shaped. You know, how did this idea form in your head? What form did that thought initially take? I think the podcast only came later. I think if I'm right, you sort of had Facebook and then Twitter, but the, the podcast came later. How, how did all this, you know, come about? It all started with a t-shirt, um, which my older brother, I think now regrets buying me. He bought me a t-shirt. <laughs> I think it was for a birthday and it, it said happiness is egg shaped and it was in the shape of a rugby ball. And my brother, he's a, he's an internet shopper. He finds all kinds of cool and kind of unique stuff. And he got me this present, which both my brothers are, 
they would never admit it, but they're actually quite sentimental, romantic guys. They know, they they buy really good, thoughtful presents. They they do quite nice stuff. They would never say it. They would never hug you. They would never. But they're they're good with things like present buying. And mm. he got me this T-shirt that said "Happiness is egg shaped," and I loved it. Now Facebook for me, I I didn't do Bebo or MySpace or any of those things. I was quite late to the social media party, and I I didn't I didn't get it. And I went on Facebook, and it was to try and find a guy I'd played rugby with, um, when I was about nineteen twenty. And I loved him. He was like, I had total man crush on this guy. Um, he was tall and handsome. He played on the wing. He scored tries. We used to have good nights out. His girlfriend's dad had a contract with a taxi. So if we were ever out oh, on a Saturday wow. night, she always covered the taxis. So oh, it was like, this is, this is a whole jail, world. Free card. Amazing. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So I, try, I, I pretty much went on and, and I didn't accept friends from friends. Like people that I saw every day, I didn't accept because I thought, what's the point in this? I don't understand this. And then people said to me, why have you not accepted my friend request? I was like, oh, so I started to feel bad. So I started to accept people and it started to grow. And um, somebody actually messaged me. You know, you get the memory. Somebody actually messaged me and went, no way you've got 900 friends. And I, <laughs> I, I quite fancy calling them up and going, you should see it now. Um, because just, you know, you meet people once and they send you a friend request yeah, and yeah. you become buddies and they, they get to know you through, through It's nice on your birthday media. when you get 1,200 birthday wishes. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> you, can like, tell, you can tell you can tell the people, Great. you can tell the people have just done it on predictive text. They've just hit H and yeah. come up happy birthday and just hit go. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. So uh, I, I used to, like I said, I don't go to the pub. I don't go to the bar. So I've never been the guy that stands at the end of the bar and says, I'll tell you what. Or do you want my opinion? Or I've never been that guy. <laughs> but what Facebook did was it gave me the platform to be that guy. So as a kind of as a joke, I used to rant on Facebook. And I always tried to make it funny. But there was usually an underlying point. And it tended to be based around rugby. And then I would do it about the price of things. or do. But then I started on rugby ones. I started to sign it off. Happiness is egg-shaped. And then people started going, oh, hello, Mr. Eggshaped. And, and, and then I, uh, <laughs> somebody said, you should, you, should have a, you should have a Facebook page. So I made a Facebook page and it, you know, it was a few hundred people started to come on. And I, when I look back at the first few posts, I was obviously clutching at straws and just hitting into Google something and posting pictures. And then it, it just grew and people would say, oh, I love your stuff. And, oh, I love you. I saw you on Happiness Eggshaped. And, you know, it, my wife used to get quite annoyed at it. And now she's kind of accepted it, I think. But it just grew. And, and when I realized it wasn't just people that knew me that liked it, I was like, oh, this is this is quite interesting. But I've, I set out and we were talking before you hit record that there's no controversy with happiness. Actually, I'm not there to talk about the state of the game. I'm not. Well, that, no, it's not true. I'm not there to sort of have a crack at anybody for the state of the game. I'm not sure. there to question unions. I'm not there to it it tends to be based around let's highlight the positives of the game. You can go and mm. find all the negatives elsewhere and people making big statements elsewhere. Go for it. That's just not not me. Um, and it grew and it grew. And then I, I had this great plan. We're going to get merchandise. But I didn't know how to do it. And I bought stock and that meant I lost money. And I did. And it just I, I didn't know what it was. And people would say to me, what is it? I said, I don't really know. It's just nonsense. But it's my nonsense. And mm -hmm. somebody somebody said, oh, can I, you know, can I help you with it? And I, I said, look, while I love you and do it, no, because 
it's mine and I'm very precious about it and it has to have the tone that I want to send out. And then I didn't get Twitter, I didn't really understand it and I went for it. And at the time it was only 140 characters, which didn't really yep. help me that want, you know, I, I wanted- <laughs> It wasn't a good wasn't ranting enough. space. Yeah, it wasn't a good ranting space. So I, I didn't get it, but it started to build. And the thing I loved about Twitter was how intimate it can be. Um, positively, I wasn't atting people and having a go at them for not playing well. Um, so I, I started to get into Twitter and I thought, oh, this is quite this is quite cool. It's a good way to spread the message. And then I'm on Instagram, but I don't really understand it. I'm, I don't I don't really get it. Um, I'm also on TikTok, which is even worse. Because um, <laughs> let's face it, no, nobody wants to look at me. So we it grew and grew and then a friend of mine sean who i met through social media he's fill your boots please follow sean he's an amazing guy um sean and i connected and he then sent me this private message saying do you want to play touch at twickenham wow and i replied yeah and he's like, oh where are you based and I, and I replied edinburgh he went oh i'm sorry i went no 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 i'll be there so i got on a train on a friday afternoon to London, stayed in a hotel just near Twickenham across the street from the Cabbage Patch Pub, which is an amazing place. If you ever go to London, please go to the Cabbage Patch Pub and Stuart Green, the manager there, who is one of the greatest humans on the planet, he'll look after you. Um, I went across the Cabbage Patch Pub. They'd put on a tab for me because I'd been tweeting them all the way down with my progress. I went in, I had a couple of drinks, walked around, took pictures, like this Scottish guy on his own, wearing a happiness egg-shaped t-shirt, taking pictures, like selfies in the pub. Like I must have looked like one of the creepiest, weirdest things going <laughs> in London City. I wake up in the morning and I walk to Twickenham with a kit bag over my shoulder to meet this guy, like some kind of creepy Tinder thing, to meet this guy that I've never met before <laughs> and his group of mates. Because when this, the season had finished, Twickenham would host touch events for sponsors and various other things and Sean oh, okay. somehow had got the chance to put a touch team together so we watched the British Lions test that morning with Jason Robinson wow um we get to do a Q&A so I'm a big fan of the show here is called Strictly Come Dancing which I think with you guys is called uh, Dancing with the Stars and mm -hmm. um, it's one of my favorite things in the world like that if I can get Happiness Egg Shape to be big enough that they invite me on there then then I'll be able to pop my clogs a very very happy man wow so uh, Jason Robinson has been on one reality TV show, I think, here. So there's all these people asking questions. What's it like being with the Lions? What's it like scoring? What's it like winning the World Cup? And I put my hand up and said, Jason, is there any chance you're going to be on Strictly Come Dancing? Uh, which kind of silenced the room, but I genuinely wanted to know his answer. Uh, and he said, no, he's got no intention, which I was quite sad about. We then go down and we go into the home changing room at Twickenham and we run out the tunnel at Twickenham and we play touch and I've scored a try at Twickenham. Okay, it was in touch, but I scored a try at Twickenham. Wow. And I built a relationship with these guys. Sean and I fell in love. We went to the cabbage patch afterwards after we'd had a shower and we had a couple of beers. I got on a train and came home probably the happiest person in the, in the world that night. And Sean and I have kept going and Sean's a, he's the, he's the it guy so he'd been saying you should do a pod you should do a pod you should do a pod and i was like who's going to listen sean i've not got anything unique to say i'm just uh and who am i going to get on it and then a great friend of mine doddy weir um who has more neuron disease which i think with you guys oh. is asd is that right uh, Lou Gehrig's disease and yeah and uh yeah, yeah. daddy I, I i i hate to hit the pause button but i you know 
when I had been laid off due to COVID, I had no money at all, but I was really inspired by Dottie. And I sent them a message. I sent the Dottie Weir Foundation a message just saying, hey, I would really love to support you. Um, I wish I could give something right now. I can't. As soon as I can, I will. They wrote back. I got a letter in the mail and, you know, it was dictated by Dottie to one of his, you know, his assistant, probably somebody in his family. They wrote me a letter personally and sent it from the UK to the United States. There was no reason for that. That cost them money after I just told them I'm not giving you any money. And uh, that thing is framed on my wall. I've, I've never been so moved. Uh, he's he's an awesome guy. Dottie, um without him realizing even though i've told him has had a huge impact i mean he uh, yeah. goosebumps is a talk here um he he opened the door for a couple of opportunities for me that have led to my profile raising a little bit given that led to other opportunities that led to people knowing who i am and and various things and then rob wainwright british lion good mate of doddy's one of the most crazy mothers you're ever going to meet and you're like rob is proper bonkers um he decided to come up with this idea for doddy aid so during yep. covid during lockdown you run cycle swim yep. uh unicycle skateboard whatever it is a distance and that contributed to a team and you donated money and you bought a snood a doddy weir snood and uh, it brought people together at a time where you couldn't be together it was an amazing thing so i got in touch incredible. with rob and said look rob do you know what this is missing we should do a live show to, to talk about get people on he went nah th- how would we do it and i said well me and my mate sean we can put it together you get the guests we'll go for it that well how long do you think i went well rob nobody's got anything else to do so it doesn't really matter he's like right 20 minutes tops that's all people hold as like rob there's no way it can be 20 minutes like are you <laughs> kidding he's like but nobody's gonna listen i was like rob i promise you it'll be mad so the first we used to do it on a thursday night um i would host it we had the captains came on the ladies captains came on the managers came on we had tv we had rock stars we had uh rugby players we had footballers we had all sorts came on and i absolutely loved it like it was when you couldn't go out you couldn't meet anyone you couldn't do anything i was having this like rock star lifestyle it was amazing and sean had said see told you i told you i told you so i was like right okay let's have a look at this so doddy had finished during the february i recorded three or four pods we put them out and we went to number six in the rugby chart in the uk which you know all the rest were sponsored pods or supported pods or you know with big names like jim hamilton and andy good and james haskell and mike tyndall and all these guys and there's this little happiness is egg shape people going who the hell is this guy that's brilliant Um, and it just grew from there and i've had i've had people say no which is which is fine but it it tends to be mates, people I already know or have a connection with or friends of friends. I've had a couple of big names on it, like Ben Ryan and Damien Hughes. But actually what I've found is nobody's really interested in listening to me talking to big names because they can listen to big names talking to big names. They've hmm. already heard the big names being interviewed. But some of the good listens have been to people that I know. So a guy called Bruce Douglas, he played prop for Scotland. I played under 18 rugby with Bruce it's for Scotland and i'd seen it we've seen each other we connect we've, we've been in touch a few times and i said to him at murrayfield one day it was scotland against england i think i said to him listen we come on the pod 100 percent, no problem just let me know so bruce played for harlequins he played for scarlets he he 
he's been around. He's a great guy. He's now set up in a really successful business. I'm really proud of him. And we had a chat and it really was just a chat. And so many people on LinkedIn were connecting with him again. And, and he messaged about two weeks later, he messaged me and said, thank you. Uh, one of the guys I played with at Scarlet's that I've not seen for a while. We're meeting for coffee next week. Uh, and that was because he'd listened to the pod. Now, those are things, and, and you might have this too. Like when I first started, I think it was my mum that listened. Um, <laughs> and now... Like when I do things like talking at a dinner or a host an event, I get the immediate reaction, the laugh or the tumbleweed or whatever it is. I get the immediacy and I love that. Like I love being on stage. I love having a microphone. I love being the center of attention. But when you do a podcast, like you record it and then it doesn't go out straight away. It then goes out at 6 a.m. on a Monday morning. And I have no idea where it goes. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I, I told somebody that I listened to their podcast in the shower, which I think totally creeped them out. But <laughs> how, like, one, one, one of my good friends, Lisa Edge, talking. I, I seem to know a lot of people that are bonkers. Lisa is bonkers, and she walks <laughs> to work. And our walk to work is about ten or fifteen minutes. And at the beginning, I did a mini pod called Murrayfield and Me, which was me kind of telling love stories about days I'd had at Murrayfield and and she messaged me saying that she loved it because she would listen to it on her walk to work and she said it made her feel good and I was like how amazing is that like I I don't get to see Lisa as often as I should yet she's listening to me on her way to work how like that's cool and then my wife was just telling a story last week we met up we were in Birmingham for the Commonwealth Games 7s and met a buddy of mine he was my scrum half at school Mike Burrell lunatic absolute lunatic like bonkers guy and he's not changed in do you the know slightest. what he's saying people nah nah no it doesn't seem like it well if i do they're just not the ones you tell the stories about so uh i was we were chatting my wife's telling this story to mike and he was asking about the pod and thing and nikki was saying like uh, my wife nikki said we were walking through a town in scotland called north berwick and we're walking on the pavement and every now and then people will say to me, oh, I like your podcast or oh, I saw you at Murrayfield or happiness is egg shaped. Or, and this guy is walking towards me, just made eye contact with me. And it was a kind of uncomfortable one because he was still far enough away where this eye contact was going to last like five or six seconds. <laughs> and I just said, I said, hiya. And he went, rugby. And I sort of jumped back and I was like, and like my wife just swung around and looked at me as if, what? And the guy just went, he's, and then there was a little pause where we were all in a bit of shock, like my kids are cowering behind me in case something's going to kick off. The dog's sort of looking up, and I have to get involved in this. And uh, he goes, rugby. I've I've seen you at Murrayfield and you're putting he just started talking, but it was hilarious. This like, <laughs> he was obviously racking his brain, going, I know this guy, I know this guy, I know this guy. And then just shouts rugby in the middle of the street and like, oh no. But it was like it's cool. Like I, it's a nice thing because because there's no controversy. I've not got people crossing the street going, I totally disagree with you, you're out of order. You're people are generally saying, Oh, that was funny, or I yeah, like yeah. that thing, or why are we and, slagging and that, off Ellie Price? Ah, yeah, oh, he is chiseled by angels. There's no way I'm slagging off Ali Price. He's one of the hottest people on the planet. It's true. 
so speaking of which, uh, on your pod, you've had a chance to talk with some incredible people over the years, including very recently, the amazing Dallin Stanford, who, who joined me fairly recently as well. What a, a fountain of positivity and amazing stories he is like, and he, he is like the onion of onions. You just keep peeling back the layers and there's more and more under there. Um, can you tell us about a guest or two who really sort of surprised you with, I don't know, their stories or the way they inspired you with their own stories? Yeah, every single one of them. Dallin um, is one of those guys I feel like I know. And he, yeah. he said the same because of social media. And I just love the guy. Um, he's, well, he's so the, handsome. He's been the, the, the voice for my free jacks. And I, yeah. my wife and I decided one day we have a day off. And I happen to know the free jacks are training today. And I know the address of their home office. So we're just going to go. And we're just going to go see if we can meet some of them. And we went. And sure enough, Slade McDowell opens the door and lets us in. We get to go talk to some of them. And then they say, oh, well, we're about to go down to the field to, to train. I go down there and down Stanford's there just on the field, sort of chit-chatting, doing his down Stanford thing. And he just spots me. It's not like he recognized me from something. And he's like, boom, makes a beeline, comes over with his hand out. He's like, hey, how, what's up? What are you doing? Boom, 10-minute conversation. And then, you know, a week later, he's on the pod. What a, what a guy. He's awesome. And he, I mean, he makes me look miserable. That's, that's how enthusiastic <laughs> and positive that guy is. And when I was, I got, there's certain guests I get a little bit twitchy about. And it tends to be the ones I don't know. Um, mm. So with Dallin, I did actually do a bit of research and I found the most amazing quote. And I can't remember who it was, but somebody said he's an electric dude, which yeah. I, I thought that, that is sounds cool. just about I would, right. I would love to be known as an electric dude. But Dallin, <laughs> uh, I messaged him. He's like, yeah, sure. Here's the times. Here's the thing. And he hooks up and we chatted a little bit um, off air. I just got the vibe. This is going to be awesome. We chatted. I could have spoken to him for the, the whole day. He's yeah. just, he's one of those people that leaves you in a better place than he found you. Yep. Um, I'm sure that's how players feel. You know, when he does his commentary, uh, it's enthusiastic. It's positive. It's worth listening to. He, he provides color. I just loved the guy. And then and the man, the man you know, does his research. Ah, uh, yeah. And, and from that, he hooks me up with Robin McDowell, so I get to have a chat with Robin McDowell. Um, and and he's, you know, I, I hope the the universities will align one day that I get to spend some time with with them in in real life, whether it's on the side of the pitch at the Free Jacks or it's having a coffee or it's, you know, somewhere bigger and grander. I, I don't know. I just I'd love to be in his company. Um, yeah. There's there's very Rocky Clark was a was a big one for me. I'm very often the the dominant sort of conversation but she I, i'm not often lost for words and rocky just put me on my heels when she revealed on the pod for the first time so openly about her mental health when she stopped playing international rugby so that was a that was a big moment i've known jim hamilton for a long time uh jim had signed an exclusivity agreement with his new with his podcast moving forward so he said we got to get it done now before that happens because i'm only mm. allowed to do so i mean how cool is that jim <clears throat> putting himself out for me that really and then jim that's very thoughtful you know everybody sees jim as this big daft guy who and actually the persona that a lot of people it, see it is, feels like is he cultivates jim. that it feels like he's chosen yeah, yeah. that and has decided this is my niche yeah and 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 you know that's that's needed to to keep the kettle boiling for him but jim came on and i wasn't sure what to expect 
um, and I was a little bit intimidated because obviously Jim is is carving it up himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and he started talking about his childhood and he started talking about how tough and this and that. And I thought, whoa. And quite a few people messaged me and went, I had no idea. I would yeah. never have known. Of so that's one where a big name probably spoke to me in a different way than they would speak to a big name. Um, oh, right. Okay. So I, I kind of like that. And that's yeah, where... Yeah. I'm beginning to realize maybe my not necessarily my niche but maybe my skill or is that familiarity that that feeling of safety that okay I can talk to this guy um and that's that's really nice and you know I've uh, Jim Telfer um my mum is actually godmother to Jim Telfer's kids wow. my my mum and Jim's wife are hairdressers and and work together for years um, and Jim lives in the town of Gallus Hills and my mum pops in to see them every now and then. So I'd said to her pre-Lions tour, uh, do you think Jim would come on the pod? She said, well, I'll ask. Uh, so away she goes. She goes to visit Francis and Jim and has a walk around the garden, said Bruce would like, and Jim, you know, what would that be? What what about? What do you want to talk about? Was it, you know, and uh, I, I would never have told him this, but he got the time wrong. Um, he was He was about an hour late, but he just, it'd been I thought it was half one and he thought it was two thirty. I'd gone for a walk and Sean messaged me going, Jim's in the call. Jim's in the call. So I'm like running back to get to the call because I didn't want to upset Jim. And Jim came on and you know Jim's been interviewed by the great and the good of TV, media, radio. Uh, you know, he's worked with everybody in these shores that's a rugby player. Um but Jim's a teacher. I'm a teacher. He was a head teacher at school. I was deputy head teacher in. We spoke about education. We spoke about life. We spoke about the borders. And that was an amazing, like Jim Telford didn't have to do a podcast with me. He wasn't really getting anything out of that, but he knows that, oh, it's Susan's son. Uh, I've, I know him. I'll have a chat to him. You know, we've we bumped into each other at a few things. We sat and watched a movie premiere together, uh, which was one of the most beautiful things I think I've ever a, a movie premiere. I was in the movie. Jim was in the movie. We were both invited to premiere. We're sitting together watching the wow. movie that we're in. And that was a. This is like where have I? This is a what? Is anybody catching this? Like is, <laughs> it was just a. It's just a cool thing. And and when people say yes to coming on the pod, and you know that like when we when we cut this and we have a little chat, I'm going to tell you how much I enjoyed this and loved this. And, and it's genuine. When people say that, or they WhatsApp me afterwards to say, thanks very much, I really enjoyed that, or that made me think, or that, that's a really cool, warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Yep. You know, I'm a, I'm a great believer in Joey Tribbiani on Friends when he tells Phoebe there's no such thing as a selfless deed. And it's absolutely true. Like, I've done lots of things for charity, but I've done it selfishly because I like to do it, and it gives me a nice, warm feeling. There's no, you know, you can put yourself through whatever hell you want to, which is not the charity work I do. I'm not doing endurance (laughs) events. I'm talking to people. But, you know, you're doing it because you want to help. It gives you a good feeling. It makes you want to do more. And when you speak to people and you make them feel good and they make you feel good, everyone's a winner. Exactly. And there's a, an entirely apocryphal story about Abraham Lincoln. I heard, you know, the, the teachers tell you when you're a kid that he was on a train and there's the trains going, going by this lake 
they look out the window and they notice that somebody appears to be drowning in the lake and Abraham Lincoln insists that they stop the train and they stop the train and they go and they help this person and they get back on and somebody says, wow, that was the most selfless thing I've ever seen. And, and Abraham Lincoln said, are you kidding? That was the most selfish thing I've ever done. If I had seen that and not done anything, I couldn't have gone to sleep tonight. Yeah, and, and it's... And it's situation, it's bravery, it's confidence, it's being comfortable in your own skin to do those things. You know, the uh, when I, I interviewed Lorraine Kelly, who you'll not know, but she's um, a breakfast TV host in this country. She's from Scotland uh, and loves Doddy and has had Doddy on her show. I mean, her show is called Lorraine. She's our Ellen, uh -huh. right? Sure. Uh, <laughs> And Lorraine's except she, Lorraine's, hasn't she hasn't been canceled yet. No, no, Lorraine's still going. Um, and she, I said to, I jokingly said to her at the end of it. So I've interviewed some TV people like Jenny Faulkner and Gabby Logan and, and TV hosts across here. And I always finish with a joke. So I've, I've just got one more question. How did you think I did? And you know, <laughs> uh, Lorraine said, "Do you know, Bruce? The best thing is that you listen." And you respond, and I and I kind of like that. And listening's a skill, and you know, as I've as I've said, and as your listeners and as you are beginning to learn, I love to talk. But a big part of communication is the listening and picking up the cues. And and it's something as the older you get, and the more experienced you get. I think the happier you are doing it. Yeah, um, the, uh... but I just love speaking to people. But, you know, as they say, backstage before before the recording started, we talked about that very thing of, about, you know, when you're interviewing, being able to step back and listen and allow the person to expand. And my biggest mistake, I, so there's a, a guy affiliated with the Free Jacks, Ali Englehart, who it's funny that you mentioned Hong Kong because he grew up in Hong Kong. He's played for Hong Kong. And I'm interviewing him and I'm, I'm sticking to my script and I'm sticking to my script. And then he casually mentions that he lived in a Shaolin temple for a year. Did I stop and then say, what? <laughs> no, I was like, anyway, I think I, what I said was, yeah, yeah, well, who hasn't? And then I kept plowing on. <laughs> and to this day, I'm like, ah, Shaolin <laughs> Temple, it was right in front of, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I can't claim that one. So currently, you are the stadium announcer, the hospitality host, and as it says on the website, the wheel Kent face of Edinburgh rugby. And while I do actually understand that phrase, I must apologize for using it with an American accent. That must have been painful. Uh, how did Wait, you what, we, what website's that on? Oh, the official uh, Edinburgh rugby site. Am Just I on the you... website? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's... Oh, I didn't know that. That the I literally copied and pasted the the phrasing from it. Oh, maybe maybe that means I've not been cancelled. Wheel Kent face. Maybe that means I've not been cancelled for the new season. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how did you end up in this very high profile role? Um, uh, I'm not convinced it's a high profile role. I think it's the person who's there and available. Um, a, a few years ago, I got a new job as a deputy head teacher, which resulted in a commute, which meant I wasn't able to be a, a club. Um, so I was coaching a club team training Tuesday, Thursday, play on a Saturday. We were in a, a national league, which meant some pretty big trips. And it just wasn't going to be possible for me to actually make training with the commute that I had. And that would have then put more pressure on my wife and my kids. And, and I wasn't prepared to do that. And so with a bit of a heavy heart, I had to stop coaching. But I knew I was still going to be involved in rugby or I had to be involved in rugby. And where I used to live, 
you could hear if there was concerts on at, at Murrayfield or if Scotland were playing at home, people would park in my street. That's how close we were, and you could hear the music. So the CEO at Edinburgh Rugby at the time was a guy called Johnny Petrie, and I've known Johnny for a long time. He's now the CEO at Ulster. And I don't know what his title was, a commercial manager or something, a guy called Stuart Martin, who is a, is a brilliant guy. I love him a bit. Johnny took him to Ulster with him when he went. So at the time, Edinburgh was about to go through a big rebranding. They were changing their colours. They were changing the logo. Um, they were building a stadium out the back in Murrayfield. And they wanted to be a bit different on match day. So I'd, I'd been with Johnny at something and I said, look, I'm not going to be coaching. I don't know what you've got at Edinburgh, but if there's anything I can get involved with, I'd, I'd be reasonably keen. And he was like, yeah, 100%. You need to come in for a meeting. So I went in and I met with Johnny and Stu around the table and they didn't know what they wanted me to do. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. We just all knew that we wanted me to do something. And Johnny started off with about six things. And I was like, right, Johnny, that's all very well, but I can't do them all. So you need to just tell me. And I said, look, I don't want paid because if I don't like it and you don't think I'm any good at it, I don't want there to be anything uncomfortable. So let's just leave it. At, I'll be there. I said, I'll be at the games anyway, because I'll be able to come and watch. It's a Friday night, mostly games. So it got to it that Johnny sort of left the room and Stu and I had a chat and it was decided that they were bringing in a couple of DJs to do the hosting and the announcing at the games but they wanted they didn't know anything about rugby and they needed someone with some rugby knowledge they wanted some chat during games so if there was a kick to the corner with a line out they wanted me to try and get the crowd going so that they knew what was happening if it was they were banked on their line defending they wanted me to chip in and try and get the crowd behind them by the time we were in the big bowl we were in murrayfield so that hold 65,000 people, 67,000 people, but they would only be on a good game, maybe five or 6,000 people there. So the atmosphere was tough. Mm. And I was like, yeah, 100%, let's go for it. So I had to be there two hours before kickoff to go through the run through the script. Now, I didn't really have a script because all I was doing was try scorer is this person, substitution this guy for this guy. Uh, so I said, look, can I go down to the clubhouse and get me a player and I'll do an interview down there? I'm here anyway. Okay. So they started to produce players and two players and I would do an interview with them in the bar. Nice. So that the, the supporters could get a bit of insight and I would be doing something useful rather than just pestering people for selfies for two hours before kickoff. Um, and then it started and it, it went down quite well. I get excited, as you can imagine, I, when WP net, my, my kids will shout WP Nell and try scorer for Edinburgh, number 14, Darcy Greer. And I had uh, like one of the guys who writes for Edinburgh said he can't get his kids to stop uh, shouting big Bill Mata round the house because that's so I just I loved it and it, and people knew and the thing I've always said I'm just a supporter with a microphone I've just been allowed to be the one to be the mouth um and I love it and I know a lot of the guys I've taught some of them I've coached some of them I've coached with some of them um and you just get to know them they tend to be pretty good humans and they quite like it they like when I give them a big build up and uh, I've given them some of them nicknames and stuff like that and they, they've now got tri tracks when they score that their music plays so Darcy Graham has the can can which gets I the place that. rocking I love it's that. uh it's so cool so we've just built a bit of that and from that came 
Edinburgh said, right, we need to do hospitality before games. So I, it became a more formal thing. I get a couple of players and ex-players and whoever's in the room, I tend to, you know, being a few people in the room, I get them up and we do a bit of Q&A. We have a laugh. We, um, before Christmas, we, with Wasps, Wasps were up for a European game and I had the whole room doing the 12 days of Christmas. So the CEO of uh, Wasps is going, five gold (laughs) ring. And it's it's just fun. It's just nonsense. The, The guys from Connacht come and just fill themselves full of Guinness and we have a great laugh with them and uh so that and then i walk out from hospitality i finish that about 20 minutes half an hour before kickoff i walk out and i pick up a microphone and i get to watch from a good spot and announce the tries and then i go back into hospitality and wrap it up so it's it's just a bit of nonsense and from that um so this is the doddy weir story where i might get a little bit emotional i'd started doing stuff for edinburgh and the guy who was running the hospitality for scotland great guy who's now in Aussie, um, James Nicholson, said uh, he connected with me on LinkedIn, I think it was, and he said, can you come in for a chat? Yeah, I'm at Edinburgh on Friday night. Let's meet before the game. So we started having a chat and he said, look, um, keen to get you involved with hospitality at Edinburgh, uh, at Scotland. I said, look, I'll bite your hand off for that. Are you kidding me on? And he said, you'll have been before. I said, you kidding me on, James? It costs a fortune. I've never been, but I buy the cheapest ticket. I sit right up in the rafters. He was like, oh, okay. He said, right, well, the story was um, Doddy had got his diagnosis MND and knew that there was going to come a point where he couldn't host the room. Now, the room's mm. called the Thistle Suite. It, ho- it sits about 550 people on a on a big day. So Scotland, England, there'll be 550, 500, whatever, 20 people in the room. Uh, and it was Doddy's room, and it had been Doddy's room for something like 50 tests. Wow. And James and Doddy had been having a chat, and Doddy wanted to hand over. He wanted to have a bit of a say in who took over. So they'd had a mention of this guy and this guy, and and Doddy had said Bruce Aitchison. Now, that makes me feel 25 wow. feet tall. Like, that's, yeah. that's Alex Doddy Ferguson. uttering my name, it just fills me. Oh, wow that's that's Alec Ferguson coming up with his successor that's you know Phil Jackson being able to say here's the guy that's coming in like that's a that's a big deal to me um so what happened was I went to game and I watched so Scotland played Fiji Doddy was on stage I was invited with my wife and my kids so we're sitting front row and center watching how it goes and then the next week it was right you're on with Doddy so Doddy and I uh, we hosted the room as a as a double act for and it was Doddy's room until it wasn't so it was uh right we're doing the autumn test together we did the six nations together uh then in the summer Doddy said yeah I'm still good so we did the autumn test together and then it was uh yes that, like it was right Bruce you're on for the six nations but then Doddy said no I'm good we can go for this so we did another six nations and he finished against Wales uh, and then it was my room and wow. I, I absolutely love it. I've met some amazing people, both big names in the game, but also people that work at Murrayfield. Like that's Murrayfield's my church. I could sit in the stands and watch the grass grow. Yeah. Like I, I could spend all time there, but what that first, I love. That, that first day when it was sort of officially your room, what was that feeling like? Um, were you intimidated? Oh, I don't, I don't have Doddy here like anymore. A, like it was. Well, I was. 
I was desperate for it. You know, it's the put me in coach, put me in coach. It was that kind of moment. But knowing, not it wasn't even that I was following Doddy really because he'd instilled so much in me. And mm. you learn, you know, when you become a parent, you parent the way you were parented. When you become a teacher, you teach the way you were taught. When you become a coach, you coach. So, the, and then you find yourself. Then you find your own thing. Mm. So, Doddy had given me lots of little bits, and that there was a there was an amazing point. Scotland were playing South Africa autumn tests, and Doddy was being given the freedom of the city in Edinburgh. So he was going to be late. So he's in the middle of Edinburgh being made Doddy Weir, Freedom of Edinburgh. And what they'd, or Rob Wainwright had organized the March of the Headbands. So everybody in attendance had Doddy Weir headbands on and standing, worshiping Doddy up on the um, balcony, being given this. And then everybody was going to walk to Murrayfield, apart from Doddy, who was going to be put in a taxi and brought to Murrayfield. So it was right, Bruce, you're on until Doddy gets there. Mm. Now, the expectation was really Doddy would arrive a little bit before kickoff, do one bit and be done. So I'm up on stage. I'm giving it big. I've had this interview. This I'm feeling, you know, like being a student teacher when the teacher leaves the back of the room. And like right now I'm a proper teacher. It was like, well, like this is mine. I'd been up for about 15 minutes and the bugger walks in the room. <laughs> and he's and it's a long thin room and he's stood at the back of the room and I'm getting waved at by James Nicholson so like <laughs> Doddy's here Doddy's here and I'm thinking I, I, would, I would describe him as an, a noticeable figure I think when he oh walks uh, yeah exactly the, like everybody's <laughs> nobody's listening to me they're all going Doddy's here Doddy's here when's this yeah. clown getting off the stage <laughs> yeah. when's Doddy coming on? so but one of the cool things about that was I got to intro Doddy to the stage and I mm. love doing intros. I love building that up. I love that feeling of getting to a crescendo and then boom and doing it for Doddy Weir in a room where he's loved and worshipped. Oh is, my gosh. I mean, it's the easiest gig in the world. So bringing Doddy up and then he has a go at me for being small and for wearing a suit that's too like, looks like <laughs> his and all this kind of stuff. Cause Doddy, I, I got a tartan suit made in Hong Kong a long time ago and it's still kind of holding together and Doddy, like people had said, people who worked at Murrayfield and people said, you, ca you can't wear that because that's Doddy's thing. But Doddy was like, no, no, you got to wear that because that's like, that's gold. So Doddy would give me crap for, oh, you've only got one suit and, uh, you know, I, and he would wear a different one every week and I would have the same one. And it just, it just became, and being his sort of stooge was just gold. Oh, and he yeah, would give, yeah. He would give me <clears> tip for so I was Gala was my club and Melrose was his. They're five miles apart. They're big rivals. That gave him even more oh, sort of ammunition. And it was just amazing. Now Doddy, like here's the small world. Doddy's from where I'm from. He's he farmed as a kid. He was just outside where I went. My brother is the same age as his sister. He played rugby with his other little brother. My dad and his dad went to school together. Um, wow. Like like Doddy's known me pretty much since I was knee high. Uh, which is still pretty tall to Doddy, to be fair. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Doddy, the small village I'm from, every week, they eh, every week, sorry, every year they have a week of celebration that finishes on the Saturday with a sports day for the kids and adults. But on the Thursday night is what's known as Farmer's Night. 
So the farmers would come down. That was tug of war night. That was, I think, called nice. tossing the sheaf. I don't know if you know oh, tossing yes. the sheaf. So Doddy would appear like so, you would hear in the park. If I could interrupt you for just a second, so that there, there's Highland Games that take place in New Hampshire every yeah. single year. There's a you know there's various Highland Games that come around, but the big one is in New Hampshire every year at Loon Mountain. They do the Highland Games, and there's so the the. The athletic competitions are the most important thing in the centerpiece. And there's, the, of course, the sheaf toss. And I went there once with uh, the woman I was dating, and she had misheard it over and over, and she thought it was the sheep toss. And when she, <laughs> and she, when she was told that they were just going to use pitchforks and pick up these sheafs and throw them over a bar, she was like, how is this legal? How are they? I can't believe they're going to do this. And why do you want to go see this? This sounds terrible. So anyway, the sheep toss will always be the sheep toss for me. Yeah, uh, I love those little things. My uh, my kids, my my dad damaged his ankle and uh, was walking with what they called crunchies. So they've become crunchies for us, which has always been a cool thing. So Doddy, as, as little kids, Doddy was playing for Scotland at the time, an absolute hero. And you'd be running around on a Thursday night as a, you know, a primary school age kid kicking a ball usually. And then this giant would walk into the park on farmer's night and, you know, tossing the sheaf over the crossbar. And wow. it's like that, that's Doddy Weir that plays for Scotland. That's the, like, that was a, Oh my gosh. But those in Scotland rugby, especially in the Scottish borders. And I say this a lot and I've written about it that, heroes walk among us mm. like doddy weir was just doddy weir the farmer that night he was just coming down to support his local village in their civic week and it was farmer's night and no doubt they went to the the pub after and had too much and all that kind of stuff but he came down tossed the sheaf everybody got to have a bit of chat with doddy weir wow. before social media before camera phil you know, oh you my know gosh. camera phones and all that kind of stuff but doddy was just he would he was just there and that was to then see what he achieved as a rugby player which lots of people now i hope he's still remembered for the bloody good rugby player he was but doddy yeah. opened that door for me into hospitality into a whole new world that i've never seen that's then led to me being offered other things and having that confidence of doddy weir thought i was worth it that must mean i'm i'm okay and a great friend of ours a mutual friend of ours who's no longer with us unfortunately scotty glynn who is one of the biggest characters i've ever met in my life and was a professional after dinner speaker he used to work down the mines as an electrician but he was really funny he was an actor he was in all sorts of things and he became an after dinner speaker and I'd worked with Scotty a few times, a bit like Doddy. He'd invited me to speak at something, but I think what he was actually doing was checking out to see if I was any good. Mm. And then I got, I sometimes would get a phone call from a number I didn't recognize. Hello, Bruce Hitchin speaking. Hello, Bruce, it's somebody from this club or this organization. I got your number from Scotty Glynn. And that used, those were moments that made me feel 10 feet tall because Scotty Glynn didn't have to recommend me to anyone. And if I wasn't any good, I would damage his reputation. Yeah, yeah. So Scott, Scotty would be recommending me to people. And when I when I spoke with Scotty, I spoke with them maybe five or six times. And I still use cue cards. There's less on them now than there was when I first started, but I still use cue cards. He's up here actually. There's a picture of Scotty on my wall, just overlooking me. Um, 
and it, whenever I speak, I'm getting hairs in the back of my neck standing up. Whenever I speak, I still have Scotty's voice in my head. Ditch the cards. You need to get rid of the cards. You don't hmm. need the cards. He used to say to me all the time, you don't need the cards. Because he would just stand up and was larger in life and would present himself to the room. And you laughed as soon as he stood up because Scotty was just just funny bones. Whereas nobody knows who I am. So I I have to present in a way that's that's going to get that reaction. And knowing that Scotty had vouched for me, one made me think I can do it. But two, I was thinking, I better get this right or or Scotty's, Scotty's not going to be happy. But it drove you to try and be as good as you can. And I, and I will. One day, I'm, Scotty, if you're ever listening, one day I'm going to ditch the cards and I'm, and I'm going to go for it, I promise. Well, in preparation for talking to you today, I decided I would reach out to somebody I know who is a big fan of yours, <clears throat> Nicola Garforth, the co-founder <laughs> of the, the Edinburgh Rugby Supporters Group. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask her if she had any questions that she would like me to pose to you. Uh, she, she was nice enough to join me on the pod here a few months ago. Her positivity, like yours, is infectious. She's um, quite a lady. So she wasted no time in getting back to me. And her reply was this. She said, I would like to ask him where he gets his energy from on a match night. He presents hospitality, announces in the stadium, goes back to hospitality during halftime, then goes back to announcing for the second half, then back to hospitality after the match. I just watched the match from my seat and I'm exhausted by the end. So I don't know how he does it. Is there an answer to that question? I, I'm guessing it just comes naturally. It... Uh, yeah, there, there's a bit of that, but it's when you enjoy something so much, then you just you just go for it. There, there's nights where I come home and I find it really difficult to sleep, really difficult to sleep. There's nights where I come home and I'm absolutely drained and spent and I just, I need to get sleep and my head hits the pillow and I'm gone. But where do you get energy from? Different people get it from different places. I get it from the people that I'm around. And when I go to Edinburgh, there's, there's massive insecurity. I still have imposter syndrome, all of those things. Okay. I'm still not sure how good I am at any of these things, but when people have asked you to do something and it's not, I'm not going to a comedy club. Like I'm not, I'm not standing up in front of a room full of strangers. I'm not dealing with people who think they're funnier than me and who are going to heckle. So I don't have to deal with any of that. So already mm. It's a bit like standing with a whistle and 50 grown men stood on the goal line waiting for me to blow it. Those people are already somewhat invested in what's going on. So the job then becomes easier. They've paid to be in hospitality. They want a good time. I want them to have a good time. One of the things that frustrates me with certain people that I've worked with is that sometimes I don't think they appreciate that that might be the first time they've ever seen or heard you. They might be new to this whole gig and you got to produce your best. If somebody comes to Murrayfield or the Damhill Stadium that Edinburgh play in and that's their first time, it would fill me with a huge amount of pride if they walked away going, one of the things they really enjoyed was the hospitality host the laugh they had, the announcer saying something funny, uh, the announcer getting them hyped up like that. 
that that's cool that's like my podcast going out and somebody wanting to stop me and talk to me about it or telling their friend you should listen to this or that that's an amazing thing like you spoke about power before I don't know if it's power but how lucky am I that I get to go and do something I really really love Mm. in a space I really really love with people that I really really love like people that are just like me and all the only difference is I get a microphone. Nicola Garforth will be screaming and shouting, especially for Henry Purgos, who she's got a ridiculous yeah. crush on. Um, she'll be we, shouting had, for we've Henry. Had con- we've had controversy where she went on about him. And then I had to talk to uh, John and Craig about him later from the Scottish rugby podcast and uh, not as big fans. No, no. Well, <laughs> but she's shouting for Henry. It's just I get to do it and I hold a microphone. You know, yeah, I'm, yeah. like if if there was a camera trained on me through the game, it would probably get quite a lot of laughs because I don't I don't sit down. Like I'm 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 up on my toes when the line out's thrown. I'm avoiding the contact because I never liked that anyway. I'm getting excited. Like I'm jumping up and down when Darcy's nearly at the line. Mm. I'm telling Callum the DJ what what music to cue because I'm the one that knows all the players I'm saying that's going to be Mark Bennett it's going to be Mark Bennett 13 13 13 yeah and then I'm set like I've got to wow. calm myself down when I then make the announcement um I, it's just I just love it I I love being a fan I love American sports I can't really watch them on TV but going to the baseball is one of the like mm. I, I'm so happy at the baseball, but I can't watch it on TV because no, no, I've no. not got that connection. And I, the, I, I, I'm 100 percent with you. Like I will go to a baseball game in person any day, any time, any league. Mm-hmm. I don't care because it's a great day out. The park is going to be beautiful. You're going to see some cool stuff. You can walk around like it's great following baseball when they play 162 games. Uh, that's not for me. Yeah. No, and, and Edinburgh, they don't play at home that often. And it's like I say, I don't I don't go to the pub, I don't go to the bar. That is my entertainment. Now my entertainment is actually me performing. Like I I, I would I would speak at an event every night of the week. I'd do lunch every night of the week and twice on a Saturday I would you know host something online. I'd record a podcast every morning. If somebody wants to throw me some money, I'll I'll do that as a living because I get such a kick out of it. I'm just lucky that I love teaching. I love working with kids. I love being in a school and my extracurricular activities are somewhere that I really enjoy being. And I'm, I'm supported by an amazing wife and kids and my mom and dad love it. And they sometimes say, where on earth are you now? Um, I, I love one of the things that is kind of away from the the cameras to a certain extent, although I take lots of pictures when I get invited to a rugby club to speak at their dinner, that's, that's sometimes my happiest times. Uh, I did one not that long ago at a club called Last Wade, which is not far from here. It was their centenary and I've, I've not had many better nights in my life than I had that night. 120 people, grassroots game, People I know, people I didn't know, people that have heard of me, people that have listened to the podcast, men, women, young players, old players, old guys that look like they'd been cryogenically defrosted for the night. <laughs> like just amazing place. And Peter Wright, British Lion, sitting there, Rob Wainwright speaking with me, the president of the SRU sitting next to me. Uh, and I'm I'm welcomed into a rugby club that I've got no real association with, but actually I do because they did a couple of nice things for me historically. 
and for me to be able to tell that story meant I had a sense of belonging to those people. So afterwards they come up and they say, oh, I remember, I remember, do you know this guy? And it's, it just fills you up. And, you know, I, I don't drink a lot. Um, I don't tend to drink when I'm kind of performing or hosting or speaking. So I have time in the car on the way home to, to try and get my head and my heart a little bit straighter. But my head hits the pillow and there's a mixture of things. There's, oh, I wish I'd said that. Oh, I wish I'd, oh, if mm. I'd remembered that. So there's a bit of analysis in my performance, but there's also that buzz of, oh, it was magic to see that guy. Oh, I love that, that laugh. It's, I just feel so lucky. So where does my energy come from, Nicola? Some of it comes from her. What a force of nature she is. Um, right. And she's so kind and so generous and gives up so much. And, you know, for her to every now and then she'll send me something to say well done we've hosted a couple of things for edinburgh fans group which has been nice um she came doug struth the ceo of edinburgh lovely guy he invited nicola as a guest nice. to hospitality and i don't think she wanted any fuss but and i didn't know that but i made a fuss and i said <laughs> that she was there and we did and i didn't realize that nicola wasn't a huge one for sort of physical public displays sure. of affection i just went up and gave her a massive hug uh and said great to see you and she did she did a lovely thing on her facebook that night to the fans about here's everything i did here's when i arrived here's who i met here's what we ate here's what bruce said here's what we did and she made a little comment about she doesn't normally like that, but she was happy to do it. And it's like, Aww. how, like, that's, now I, I need to be a bit more careful, right? First lesson is I should probably be a little bit more understanding that people might not like that. But sure. getting to welcome people into an environment and them leave having had a good time and hopefully feeling a little bit better for it, it's a huge honor and, and I love doing it. And I, I would, like it's one of those things I would love my mum and dad to be able to come to every time. Like, look at me, look at me, mum, look at me, dad. Yeah. Look, look at this is cool. Uh, you know, and I've I'm <clears> lucky enough to a good friend of mine, Kev, that I played with years ago. Kev and his wife Claire came to hospitality one night with my wife, and they had quite a good time. They weren't as embarrassed as I think they thought they were going to be. They they kind of enjoyed it, and it's nice to sometimes share it with those that are really close. But I've made some good mates and and made some lovely connections with people. Well, Bruce, I, I feel like we the things we're talking about here are near and dear to my heart. Not just the game, but these ideas about you know understanding and what happiness is made of. Um, one of the things I like most about your pod and your whole sort of I, I hate using the word brand, but you know you, you know what I mean at least. The underlying theme with you is the theme of happiness. Your stated goal when you have guests on your pod is to find out what makes them happy and to explore what it is in life that gives them the most happiness. So in fact, I've noticed that each episode of your pod is always titled happiness is, and then there's an ellipsis and then just the guest's name. Um, you're a man who's all about happiness. And I see, you know, it, it only takes two seconds to talk to you to realize that that's something that's near and dear to your heart as something that you that's very important to you um so in a way rugby only sort of scaffolds this greater purpose which is discovering how people can find their own happiness and keep it um is that fair to say or am i sort of misreading right now no 100 percent rugby is just 
my tool for that, and that's I get frustrated when people badmouth other games and say rugby, you know, soccer's the one, especially in this country, that cops it because the players roll around, they get paid a lot of money, all that kind of stuff, and and if they show any sign of being ungrateful or they get hammered for it. And that then means people have a crack at football supporters. And uh, rugby's not any better or worse than volleyball, baseball, soccer, tennis. What like, let let people have their own thing. Sure. If if we have to throw mud at other things to make us feel better, then then actually we're we're not very happy. I soccer was my first love. Um, my dream was to play for my team Hibs, uh, to play Easter Road, to score goals to do like play for scotland go to world cup that was that was it as small boy bruce that was the thing but what i didn't find in football was the sense of belonging that i found in rugby Mm. uh, were the the people that were willing to accept me for who i was and what i had to offer and that wasn't always the case people were willing to see the things i wasn't good at over the things i was good at i've been dropped by pretty much every coach i've ever played for uh you know, rug, rugby's kicked me, uh, you know, serious knee injuries pretty much made me stop playing. It's a stupid game. Rugby is a complicated game. It's not for everybody. I disagree. It's not for everybody, but it is for anybody that wants to get involved. It's not mm. for everybody, but it's for anybody. And what I found that is in a rugby... Great line. It's not for everybody, but it's for anybody. I love that. That is, wow. That is excellent. I, I didn't want to let that just flow by and not mention it. That, that's a good one that's a really good one. yeah well it's it's not for everybody. i know people that had a horrible experience and don't want to do it and that's sad but it's understandable because it's not perfect um but what i found in rugby clubs was and and i'm lucky right i'm a i'm a white male who grew up at a certain time, who was born in a certain place, right? I've not had obstacles to, to face, right? I get that. And I'm, uh, I, I disagree with unconscious bias. That's a whole other pod, right? But I hope my actions have made others feel as welcome as, as I have been made to feel. Now that rugby club, my kids love rugby clubs. Um, two girls who have no real interest in playing the game, but they love the rugby club. They love they mm. loved coming to games and running around the club after. I loved speaking to the old guys in the bar who were desperate to tell you what you should have done, what substitution you should have made. Who, like that, that was all part of it. My wife felt welcome. Um, you know, the the rugby club. The, the best stories were in the rugby club. It got loose as soon as they left and went into town, right? It, the story the, the story changed when they left the rugby club. The rugby club was an amazing kind of safe place, I always felt. And from that, I could see people being supported. I could see people being happy. Mental health wasn't something we spoke about when I was a young player, but right. I liked being at the rugby club. I liked being in that environment. I liked the mixture of people. I liked the connections I made. When we went out into town, I always felt a bit anticlimactic. As like, oh, I was actually much happier back there singing the songs, everybody wearing the same kit, all that kind of stuff. Then the game went professional and it and it changed, and I lost my way a little bit and I, I, the insecurity and not really knowing who I was. And Hong Kong 
when I went to Hong Kong, we didn't have clubhouses the way we had in Scotland. Um, but when you're all orphans in the same place, what a way to bond you together. Mm. And I arrived in Hong Kong, you know, wet behind the ears, little village boy from the Scottish borders, and I land in Hong Kong. And all of a sudden, I've got 25 best mates who are saying, no, come here, do that, go there, don't do not do that thing, go there. I'll help you with that. Don't worry about that. I'll, you know, we'll see you there. Wow. You know, I was mixing with paupers and, and princes in Hong Kong. That's amazing. And, and we all played rugby from half two to four o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. And then we had a few beers on the side of the pitch. And then we went to the pub and it, and it was like, look at what this can do. I played with every religion, every color, every nationality, and it didn't matter. You just, you couldn't be a dickhead. You, you just, you had to just embrace what was going on. And I said yes to everything in Hong Kong. I, I just, yeah, yeah, I'll go there. Yeah, I'll coach that. Yeah, I'll turn up to that. Yeah, I'll, I'll be there. And it, it was a land of opportunity for me. And in that, I started to find who I was. And so that made me far happier. This might be a, this might be a tough one. If you had never discovered the game of rugby, would you have become the vivacious and, you know, genuinely positive person you are today? If you had stuck with soccer and never, you know, at that crossroads that you mentioned earlier, if you had said, no, I'm going to stick with football and instead of rugby, would you be the person you are today? No, no chance. But the, the thing that rugby has that's quite different from, from soccer, everybody in the world could tell you what color Liverpool are. Mm. Everybody in the world could tell you that Manchester United play at Old Trafford. Everybody in the world could tell you Cristiano Ronaldo wears number seven and they could try and do his celebration when he scores a goal. Not everybody in the world knows what the hell rugby is. They've, you know, there's a huge proportion, but there is rugby everywhere. And I've played in the States. I've been to Canada on tour. I went to Spain and played for my brother's rugby team. I've been to New Zealand. Uh, I played in Hong Kong, I played in Manila in the Philippines. I took a tour to uh, Dubai, to Thailand, to Qatar. I went and watched rugby in South Africa. And everywhere I've went, that feeling of belonging was spectacular. And the thing that rugby clubs often have over football clubs is a clubhouse, is a place mm. to gather, okay. a somewhere to call your own. I've played for, when I played football, we had a home pitch and we had somewhere to get changed, but you went to the pub that sponsored you that year. But next year, it might be a different pub. So you never had somewhere to call your own. Whereas a rugby club, you finish training on a Thursday night, you go in and get changed, you go and have some pasta, and the old guys are there because they want to know the team before it's announced so that they have that little bit of kudos of being on the inside. Ah, and they're that. saying to you, what time does the bus leave on Saturday? We'll be there. It was two old guys at Murrayfield Wanderers, Vici and George. I mean look like the two guys out the Muppets but amazing guys <laughs> and it would be what time's the bus on Saturday we'll bring the bottle of port so every away game the boys were given a bottle of port for the end for the bus journey home uh, and it would get you know Covid we'd like whoa but handing round a bottle of port on the bus for the way home and Vici and George would would bring it to them every Saturday without fail that that being able to belong and be part of just a, 
a period of time. I'm, I'm here for this period of time. Those people who were there for that long, and there'll be people coming after us, but in this little period of time, and football really struggled or struggles to have that because they don't have mm. a, a gang hut. They don't have somewhere to gather and build that and share the stories. So that is the bit for me. Rugby has, the game's stupid, right? And I don't play it anymore and, and I coach at school, but the the connections I get to make with these kids because I spend so much time with them. They can, I, you know, I've just been to Commonwealth Games 7s to watch a girl play for Scotland that I taught since she was 11 years old. I watched a boy play for Scotland that I coached as an 18, 19 year old and he could hardly pass. Not, I didn't help him pass, right? This kid has done it himself. He's arrived to play for Scotland in the Commonwealth Games as a sevens player into his late 20s, or his mid to late 20s. I've met an English kid, Jamie Adamson, who was in a team, an invitational team I coached last summer. He stayed in my house last summer playing for England, scores a hat-trick in his last game at the Commonwealth Games. And I get wow. to have a chat to him after for five minutes, right? Now, I'm not the reason Jamie Adamson is playing for England at sevens. No way. But at one point in time, our paths crossed. We made a connection that's there forever. And that is priceless absolutely priceless and that is that power i don't know if that's power to me that's that's a really happy thing that makes me feel really really happy to spend time with so many great people well there's that word again and i'm going to hit you with a really hard one right now can happiness be taught it, happiness has to be experienced. I think it depends what you mean by teaching. It's a bit like coaching. Like what is coaching me telling you what to do and you doing it and having success or is coaching me creating an opportunity for you to experiment and experience and get right and get wrong and then work out the best way to do it. The, the There are people, we used to say this in teaching, There, you would walk past teachers and you had to be careful about how you greeted them. There were some teachers you said, how's it going? Because they would go, yeah, great, awesome, can't wait, see you on Saturday, looking forward to this, got my S3 next period, great, can't wait. Right, that filled you up. There were certain teachers, if you said, how's it going? They'd go, oh, well, you know, I've got them next, and this is kind of, and I'm tired, and you're like, oh, my God, come on. So you just say hello to them when you walk past them in the corridor. <laughs> <laughs> because you didn't, you didn't give Don't them, yeah. you didn't give them the in because you were just going to get everything's wrong with the world. Now, maybe I need to be a bit better and spend time with them and help them get better. And but you know, when you're just walking past somebody in the corridor, you just had to be a bit more with happiness, right? If you're, if rugby's making you happy, stay in it, go for it. I know guys who are professional rugby players who are not happy but they're doing the thing that they're really good at. It's making them a wage. They've got to a certain point in their life where they don't know what's going on or they've not done anything else, so they've got to keep it going. That makes me sad. Um, the people that, to me, exude the happiness are the people who are doing it and they don't need to do it. There's there's guys in, in Edinburgh who are 50 and 60 and still turning out for their club third 15 on a Saturday afternoon. Like, go figure. What are you doing, man? But how amazing is that, that you are still in this game playing for a club? Nobody, your, your name's not in the paper. You're not, you know, the face of the club's social media. You are just 
doing it because you love doing it. Those are inspirational people. Those that they you know, the volunteers, the ones who are putting the flags out before the game kicks off, the ones who are sweeping the sheds, the ones who are working behind the bar. Why are you doing this? It, you know, you get it probably costs you money to do this, right? But you're doing it because what you're getting back is priceless. Can happiness be taught? No, but what I don't think so. But what we can do is we can put people in situations where we certainly give them the chance and we got to surround people with the chance to be happy. I mean, I, I don't watch the news. Like talking of happiness, I don't watch the news. I can't handle the news. I I can't I can't control Ukraine. I can't control the prime minister of this country. I can't work out fuel prices. I don't know what to do. But what uh, somebody told me a story. Sorry, I'm going off script here. Somebody told me a story in Singapore, where they wanted to make the world a better place. And that, this this resonates with me. I want to make the world a better place. Okay, that, that's the big dream. I'd love to have the power, but I'd love to make the world a better place. But somebody said, right, well, what you can do is make your world a better place. <clears throat> so out the window, they saw this old lady who would go to the wet market to do her shopping every morning. And as she would come back past the house she would pause to catch her breath because she was carrying or dragging shopping on a little trolley. So what they did was they put a bench outside the house. Nice. So this woman on her way back would sit on the bench and have a rest. Now the best bit was they didn't just put it there for her to have a rest. They went out and chatted to her. Oh, wow. And, and then they learned about her and they learned about her family and they learned about what, and they learned about, well, because she lived in such a small house, there wasn't enough room to store food. So she had to go and buy the food every day and she made everything fresh, but she put that down to living longer. And that, like, what an amazing opportunity just to connect yeah, yeah. with somebody. So wow. did they make the world a better place? No, they didn't solve the issue in Africa. They didn't deal with that thing in China. They didn't deal with the labor issues in Qatar. But what they did was they made the world better for that person and it made them feel better, made their world better. So what I want rugby to do and, and my involvement in rugby is to make the world a bit better. Now, that might be in the one-to-one -one session I do with this kid to make him a better rugby player, or it might be getting excited as an announcer at Edinburgh and hoping Nicola Garforth goes home happy. I, I think my favorite bumper sticker is uh, think globally, act locally. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. A good one. Um, if any of my listeners are going through a hard time, I've been through hard times, or maybe are struggling finding their way at the moment, you know, what would be, what would your advice be to them when you, you, you find yourself struggling? How do you find your way back out of that dark corner? How do you find that light that you clearly have shining so brightly within you? I, uh, two people um, a, a little while ago now, um, they sort of took issue with me always being happy and positive. They, they both said separate things to me, but one of them, one person said two things to me. She said, maybe everybody's doing their best because I was, I was grumping about something at a school I worked in historically. And she said, maybe everybody's doing their best. And I thought, yeah, because there's probably people grumping about me mm. and am I doing my best? So I, I took that and I thought, yeah, I need to stop. I've not, but I need to stop complaining about stuff. And then the same person said something else and said, maybe people need to know when you're not happy. Huh. Interesting. And I, I said, and I thought about that and somebody else had, I made a, a, a comment and we were both new parents at the time. And 
we were chatting and she'd said this thing to me about things were difficult and I'd said uh, something like I would never I would I have I wouldn't tell people that and she went maybe you should I thought okay so I have I've done a couple of posts and I, I start I did them on I did certainly one on happiness egg shape where I said look like this is this is not Mr egg shape speaking this is Bruce this is my story and now I've not had mental health issues um I've been sad I've been upset i've been disappointed i've been sure. frustrated i've been all this but i've not had mental health issues i know a heap of people who have uh, because i'm a teacher and the roles that i've had in the last probably 10 yep. or 15 years i've dealt a lot with it um i've made a positive impact i hope in lots of places i've probably got it wrong in others uh one of the things i'm learning is that it's not something i can cure but what i need to be is available and that's what i'm trying to do so when when I'm in those places, uh, what I need is other people. Now, sometimes that's just my wife, you know, that stereotypical man, husband thing, I'll be quiet. And as soon as a problem is shared, the problem's halved. And my wife is amazing at doing that. Yep. She knows me so well. We've been together since we were at school, so there's not really much hiding. So she's able to, we talk. My kids are unbelievable when i was having tough times at work you would come home and one of them always wanted a rundown of what did you do today daddy and she wanted everything when did you have lunch oh sorry that was between there and there actually she wasn't really that bothered she just liked that story but then very quickly you just had i just had to be dad and that was an amazing thing um becoming a becoming a dad really helped <clears throat> me as a human that's not no everybody's got that so what do i need well i need i need connection i need so sometimes i sit in here and i'm drowning in emails and i'm str so i go and i go looking for boys i go looking to say what are we up to who wants to play table tennis what are we watching we're we going out to play touch are we doing so trying to find and i need to be filled up by other people um and hopefully when other people need it i can help fill well, them up so the that, human connection is definitely the most important thing for me that's an incredible segue because my next question is so the internet tells me that you have two kids um are they finding joy in rugby so what has been your approach with them uh, you know i sincerely doubt you were ever the dad who's like you're gonna do this no matter what you're gonna you're gonna play this game and you're gonna like it um on the other hand, because it's been such a joy and such a, a, a font of, you know, all the things that are great for you right now, you know, it must be hard to not want to give it to them. You know, as, as a rugby dad, what has that been like? What is your approach to being a rugby dad? Uh, that, that was uh, my young, my oldest has never shown any interest in it at all, which is fine. She loves to sing and dance and act and she plays a bit of netball and uh, she's never really been interested in picking up a rugby ball. The youngest one's a gutsy little bugger um, and she had wanted to play rugby. Do you know the thing she wanted more than anything was um, boots with cleats because oh. she loved the sound that they made when players were running on <laughs> uh, tarmac. Uh, and when she used to come with, I mean, the girls have been in changing rooms uh, um, with this shirt up here, the blue one. We won the Scottish Cup at Murrayfield. They got to come on with dad and go up the steps when he got his medal and all those things. Wow. So we've had some of those really lovely moments. They've run out of Murrayfield as mascots for another club that I coached. They got to a final there. So they they get it. They've been in changing rooms. They know players. Um, they laugh at me when I'm watching rugby on the TV and 
they they get it. But what the youngest one wanted to play rugby, and I'd said, okay, and there's a franchise over here called Rugby Tots, which is just like a class they go to for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, sometimes in a church hall, sometimes in a school hall. They play, they, they use rugby balls, but it's lots of just games and entertainment. Sure. It's not rugby. So I'd said to my wife, well, go to rugby tots. And my wife lost it. She was like, oh, why can she not go to rugby on a Sunday morning? You talk about this game being the best thing in the world, yet you don't want your daughter to be in it. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, right, here's the scenario. <laughs> You're already telling me that I spend too much time at rugby and you want me to go back to the club on a Sunday morning <laughs> with her. I said, if that's what you want, then that's what we'll do. And she kind of realized, and we, we put Katie into uh, rugby tots. Now, she loved it. She's so competitive, like properly having a big sister helps but she just wanted to play so she loved it and she'd run and pass and we went to class and i used to coach the guy who was leading it brilliant guy kiwi fella carl mcwilliam and katie loved him and he loved katie and she's running around and playing and scoring tries and uh the parents have to be there so i'm watching her so she'll do something and then look across and um but then it was like right I'm not going outside. Like I'm not playing when it's wet and windy, Dad. Like no, like <laughs> no chance. Which which I was delighted with because I don't need them to play. I don't I don't need them to play rugby. What I I probably do need. I definitely want, but I probably do need. I need them to enjoy the environment that rugby is, because I spend so much time in it and I want to share it. So my kids now are spoiled little because Dad hosts <laughs> hospitality, right? So. Right. It means rather than them going queue for the ladies' toilets at Murrayfield, they come into hospitality and get the nice clean toilets. They <laughs> they they know that dads can get them a juice and all this kind of stuff. So they've they've become ridiculously spoiled. They're not getting the experience I got as a ten-year-old going to Murrayfields, right? They're getting this whole other thing that just kills me to a certain extent. Like little ten-year-old Bruce will be so embarrassed by his dad. And, and dad's kids that, yeah, that it, there's a bit of guilt there. But they, they love it. They know players. They've met players. You know, they go to, we go to a lot of live sport. I want them to enjoy the experience. They love bumping into people. We went to the Commonwealth Games Sevens. So Rona Lloyd, who plays for Scotland on the wing, and she plays in the Sevens squad. She's the kid I've taught since she was 10 or 11 she was a babysitter for my kids when they were younger. Wow. So this is like the greatest thing ever. So we go to the stadium in Birmingham and Rona comes to see us. She gives them little pin badges of Team Scotland and gets a picture taken with them. And they're messaging their friends to say, just seen Rona Lloyd. And they love watching Rona on TikTok because she's a bit of a TikTok legend. And mm. like that, those connections are the thing I want them to have. They don't need to play. The, the, are, are they groupies? Well, I'm a groupie, right? I'm hanging around and there's people coming, but I'm a heavy can, boy for sure. Yeah, they, they can see the enjoyment I get. They can see the people I meet and there's there's a running gag in our house and it's whenever we go anywhere, it's like, who's dad going to meet that he knows? You know, who's he going <laughs> to bump into? But from that rugby taught story I told, the first time I took the girls to Murrayfield for a Scotland game, they'd been to a heap of Edinburgh games. But the first Scotland game we went to, mm. Katie went to a rugby tots lesson on a Friday afternoon after school. And we go to Murrayfield the next day and Katie and I are going down to the toilet and she walks past Ruri, who was in her rugby tots class. 
And I start talking to dad, Johnny, who's a guy I've known for years and years. And Katie's going, Rudy's in my rugby tots class. And I said, see, it's not just me. That's the rugby family. Wherever you go, you'll bump into somebody you know. So we go down to the Commonwealth Games Sevens at the weekend. I speak to my school scrum half that I've not seen for 20 odd years. Katie bumps into her classmate at the hockey. Maisie bumps into one of her buddies from school at the hockey. So sport is a place where we can gather, share an experience and just build those relationships a bit. So they're, they're getting it. And Maisie's now playing netball there and she's then playing hockey against the girl from her netball because they go to different schools and she likes competing against them. But then some of her friends are saying, how do you know her? Well, I go to this thing too. And I, and I love that they're busy. I love that they love those things that their mum and dad love. I feel sorry for them because they've not had any bloody choice. But <laughs> I think it's a pretty decent place to be. So here at the Scrum of the Earth, we have had many great opportunities to chat with people from the Scottish Rugby blog podcast in particular. And I always love the sort of mini, the sort of quasi rivalry, the, the Edinburgh versus Glasgow thing. Um, it always makes for fun chat. It's one of my favorite things about having John and Craig on at the same time. But in the end, both of them want the same thing, which is of course, Scotland to do well. So, where does your overarching loyalty lie? You're employed by Edinburgh, at least in, to some extent. So, uh, are they your home team? Are they your home team? Uh, do you sort of equally root for them? Uh, is it all about the the overarching goal of the the national team? Like, what kind of fan are you? It's a it's a mixture of things because Edinburgh and Glasgow are quite new entities. They've come out of professionalism. So the game was amateur, was based in clubs. The rivalry between right. clubs and towns was immense. The game then went professional and nobody knew what that meant. England went with a club model. Ireland, Wales and Scotland went with a regional type model. Um, nobody knew what they were doing. Lots of them got it wrong. It's changed. It's still not perfect, really, for anybody, I don't think. But Scotland initially started with four. They then cut it to two. They then tried three. They then went back to two. So a lot of it has been struggling for identity. And identity is so important. You know, the, the American model of franchises is an interesting one for me. Why would you support something that was created yesterday? Um, and it mm. takes time to build. You know, the, the Lakers are a thing, but they nearly broke. The Celtics were a thing. The Bulls are a th The Yankees are a, you yeah. know, what, an, what an, a symbol of belonging the Yankees is. But the Dodgers left, you know, that kind of idea. So, right. And the Lakers it, aren't from LA. They're from Milwaukee. <laughs> the, yeah. the, the, the very name Lakers doesn't make sense when you're yeah. in Los Angeles. But, but now, it's, now it's become a thing. And what we've right. got, and it's taken time. What we've got now is a, a large number of fans who have never known anything else. They've only known the professional entities that are Glasgow and Edinburgh. Now, I'm old enough and long enough in the tooth to remember long before this. So the, initially, I wasn't a fan of any of them. But what I am a big fan of are the people. So there are guys playing for Glasgow that I've coached or I know or I've taught, same in Edinburgh. Um, they were the people I looked out for. I wanted them to do well. I wanted them to perform and get in the Scotland Seven squad or play for Scotland, or I wanted them to get a big contract and go and play in England or France and set them and their families up. So I supported the people. 
because I was so heavily involved with clubs, that was who got my energy. That was who got my time and enthusiasm. When I got involved with Edinburgh, it was changing its identity. It was changing its colors and its logo. There was a real change in culture. There was new people involved, but I was one of them. And I suppose that's maybe where, going back to Nicola's question, some of my energy came from. I had almost a blank sheet to go, right, here's what I think it is, and Mm. here's the role I can play in it. And I you know, I've got a, a tiny role. People tend to know that I'm the announcer at Edinburgh Rugby. So game day, my phone's going wild with WhatsApp messages saying, can you do a shout out to this? Can you do a shout? It's not me that controls that, but people think because I'm the voice, I'm the one that gets to decide what gets said. But it's a nice thing. And then when you're on the touchline and you're getting to know the players and you get to know a little bit about their backstory and you know that Grant Gilchrist has got an injury and you know that Demo's struggling a wee bit and... Uh, you know, a coach to Mark Bennett, and you know that Darcy is having a tough time because his brother's been in an accident, but now everything's okay. And uh, you know, I get to bump into Christine's dad in the shop and all this kind of stuff. Like, you, when you start to make that emotional connection, you want them to do well. Uh, I spend a fair bit of time on match days with the CEO, Doug Struth, who is worried as hell beforehand. He's doing all sorts of things that a CEO shouldn't be doing, like putting flags out for the Glasgow Warriors game on the seats. And then it, it was windy, so they all got blown away. So Doug went and put them all back. Like, Doug, you're the CEO. You've got to be telling people to do this stuff. But he wants it to be right. He want... So I want them to do well for Doug. I want them to do well for the players and the coaches and I've got to know Mike Blair I want him to do well so I've now become an Edinburgh supporter uh, I remember the moment it was actually against Glasgow I wasn't involved at the club and uh, they scored a try in a corner I think it was Chris Dean and there was a couple of Glasgow supporters in front of me and they'd been quite abusive and weren't really showing respect I didn't particularly like it and for Edinburgh to snatch a victory at the end, it was almost a yes moment. Oh, and okay. that that was one of the things that made me root for Edinburgh. Then working with Edinburgh, getting to know them, you know, I can't I can't say anything other, but I genuinely do love being at Edinburgh. I want them to do well, I want them to succeed. I've been there when it's we've been so close and it's not quite got over the line. Uh, I've got to know the players. The players, I think, feel reasonably safe with me, although one or two are still a bit wary. I call Henry Immelman Handsome Henry, so he's a bit twitchy when he gets told he's going up to do an interview with Bruce because I get a bit creepy with my man crush on him. <laughs> but it's it's nice, and they know me and I know them. With Glasgow, I, you know, I support Glasgow every single game other than when they play Edinburgh. I want Glasgow to win as much as right. I want Edinburgh to win. I'm sad with the change of coaches, but hopefully a new guy coming in is going to do a good job because I think it's important that we have two teams doing well. And ultimately, like like the guys you're talking about, we want Scotland to win, right? This is right. The, the thing in Scottish rugby Yes, we are passionate about the clubs, but I think the overarching thing is always we want Scotland to succeed. That's not true in other sports. There'll be a lot of club supporters who that's most important thing. They don't want their player playing for the international team and getting injured. They want to preserve them for their club. Whereas with us, we know and understand that if they're not playing for Edinburgh, it's probably because Scotland's coming up. And so. It, it, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, 
it feels like it ages ago, but it was it honestly wasn't that long ago that Scotland seemed to be riding a huge wave, particularly beating England twice in a row, inc- including the famous win, win at Twickenham. Now, you know, things feel back deep in the doldrums um, and that most lethal of weapons, hope, seems to have gone into hiding. <laughs> if you would, you know, give us your take on the state of the Scottish team. What are your hopes and fears for the Autumn Series? Uh, well, being a Scottish rugby fan, it's the hope that kills you. You know, we, we beat That's England. I mean, in the, the f- most dangerous of weapons. Yeah, we, we win against England in the first game of the Six Nations, and I'm telling everybody we're going to win the Grand Slam. I oh, then yeah. go down to I go down to Cardiff the next week, and we're we're I didn't exult average spot after that week. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, it was a sad one, but there there's a lot in the mix. One is there are so many people. Everybody's getting better. You know, Ireland have got better really quickly. We everybody thought Wales. Really, Ireland look really good right now. I mean, off the hook, and and it's been a bit of a stars aligning for them, but it's taken time, and that's that's positive. That's okay. Wales, everyone thought the wheels were off, and then they win. You know, then they win the Six Nations. Like so, people are getting better. France are now a little bit less French, and they still got a lot of the flair, but now they've got a bit of structure and a bit of a mindset that means they're going to win. They've got players like Anton Dupont, who is just off the chart. So everybody's getting better. I have have speculated here that you don't have to think that Entomac and Dupont are the best nine and the best 10, but I, but is it safe to say the combination of those two is the best nine, 10 combo in the world right now? Yeah, I think so. But they've also got a huge bunch of enormous humans in front of them producing ball. They do. Uh, so, but Dupont seems to be able to produce things out of nothing and into Mac. He's so much that, stronger than he looks. Dupont look doesn't look like he should be strong at all. And he's well, I'm, off I'm told he's not a fan of the gym, but he's just really? uh, he's he's just a competitive animal. Um, I mean, into Mac is like boy band good looking and then <laughs> produces unbelievable rugby performances like it just it's life's not fair when you get a kid like that <laughs> carving things up so everybody's getting better scotland unfortunately scotland's a real cyclical place where the things go 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 and then there seems to be a bit of a uh oh there's there's a bump in the road coming one of the things that is controversial i suppose because i'm not sure if it's a positive or a negative we have a number of people who become scottish through residency or because sure. we find that they've got a scottish grandparent so i think that's probably a nice addition to planning when you know you've got this group of scottish kids coming through but then you're going to add to them at various levels um the scotland have some seriously good players gregor as head coach getting to go with the lions was an amazing thing he also had given through the performances of the Scottish squad players a shop window to get in. I wasn't one who complained about the number of Scottish players in the Lions or lack of Scottish players in the Lions squad historically because I agreed with a lot of people that we hadn't given them the opportunity to be selected. Mm. We'd won some games, we'd shown we could win games in clutch moments and and Scotland sending players away with the Lions to South Africa was a was an amazing thing and great for those as individuals, but hopefully great for the squad moving forward. 
what do I expect for the autumn test? You know, who knows? We we beat Fiji, or certainly we should. Uh, we then have three absolute powerhouses to play against. Uh, can I be there for <clears> the <throat> historical first win against the All Blacks? I don't know if the All Blacks are ever going to give that one up to Scotland in my lifetime. But mm. I think what we have to get to, and this is probably the bit for a lot of Scottish fans, we have to get out of the autumn tests a clearer picture of what we're going to look like in terms of selection and game plan for the Six Nations when it really comes down to how important it is. Well, it's now three o'clock where you are, which is the outlier of the time you had uh, promised to, to, to give us here on the Scrum of the Earth. Uh, I could I could talk the rest of the day. I could just pr- pretend I don't have a family and pretend that nothing's happening here at home. But uh I would like to uh, get to the to the end game here because I've I've invented a little thing. So Bruce, my new friend, are you ready for what I'm calling the quick six? It's the a thing quick I, six. I, I literally just it. I invented it just now. It's basically just six random questions. Go for it. <laughs> okay, question the first two parter though. Last year, Edinburgh were ten one and seven, Glasgow we're 10 and eight. What will be the respective records of these two teams next year? It's only a few weeks away too. It seems incredible, right? It's it, we're yeah. right on the cusp. Uh, I would love to be, let's be optimistic. I'd love to think Edinburgh are going to win uh, 12. That's and I think Glasgow, Glasgow, I'd, I'd be happy if Glasgow stuck on 10, but I'd probably get hammered from Glasgow supporters. So I reckon Glasgow have got, they're going to show improvement under the new guy. So they're going to get 11. I think they're going to find it tough against some of the South Africans and the Irish teams, but they'll, they'll win well against uh, the Welsh and the Italians. Could set myself up for a big fall there. They'll pick up some home wins, but I think they'll find it tough in South Africa and Ireland. Question the second. Who are you most looking forward to seeing blossom in the Edinburgh uniform this year? I think he's probably already blossomed, but every time Darcy Graham gets the ball, you get off your seat and you get excited mm. and you want him to score so you can do the can-can. Um, there's there's some young kids at Edinburgh that I would love to see break through. There's a centre called Matthew Curry who played for Scotland A against Chile. He's got potential to be a British Lion. The issue he's got is Mark Bennett is holding his shirt and is playing exceptionally well. Yeah, yes. I love I love Mark Bennett. He is such an able performer. He's bloody good with a golf club as well. He's a leader. He uh, is great with the younger kids like Matt. He's a good mentor to Matt. But I'd love to see Mark get in the Scotland squad, which would then hopefully give Matthew a chance to play some more minutes. Question the third. Who wins the URC this year? The obvious answer until recently was always Leinster. Until, you, you know, this past season happened. So is Leinster going to be on Revenge Tour 2022 or are, are the Stormers the new team to beat? The South African teams, I, I, don't, I don't have enough knowledge of because we always saw them playing in that kind of crazy super rugby thing that none of right. us up here really understood, but we loved watching. To then measure them against, 
European sides when they've got to come up here and play in some challenging conditions far away from home. I think Leinster are always the team to beat. I'm not sure there's ever a revenge thing. I think Leinster is just we win stuff. Mm. Uh, you know, that's our that's our DNA. We win stuff. We might not always be pretty, but we know the way. Tough to see past Leinster. I think the Sharks and the Stormers have probably got the bit between their teeth they they're a shop window for the really spring good. box yeah and it and it's scary to go down to south africa and spend two or three weeks down there on a tour knowing you've got backup games so i think they find home a bit happier so uh, sitting on the fence there now nah, i'm going leinster i'll tell you bruce I, I could spend an entire extra podcast just talking about this very idea like the injection of the south african teams into what is now the urc has that been good for the URC? Did the people organizing it crap themselves when they realized, oh, wait, suddenly these teams are just dominating the competition that hasn't had them until now? Like, is that good? Is that bad? Like, oh my gosh, it's a whole separate thing we could go down. Um, but question the four Scotland are set to play Australia, Fiji, New Zealand, and Argentina at Murrayfield this fall. What will their record be after those four fixtures? Uh, win two, lose two. Oh, I like that. Okay. Uh, I'm guessing you're counting the Fiji win. What's the other one? Australia. Revenge against our... Oh, okay. You, you don't fear the new... Uh... Everyone's been talking about Australia for like a half a year now. You're not afraid? Nah, I think, I don't know what side they'll bring. I see Michael Hooper's gone home, which I, I hope is okay. Um, he's he's a warrior. I think he's a fabulous player. I hope he's, he's okay. Um, he's gone home from their super rugby. Um, so, I, you know, thoughts with him. I hope, I, I don't know the detail. I'm not sure MD does, but I hope that's okay. But I think uh, Australia I don't have a great record coming up to us. Um, I think that, the timing of it, I think, might be good for us. Um, I think it'll be one the the squad will target as, well, they're going to say they can win them all, but I think the Aussie one will be something Gregor will like. He played in Australia. There's a, there's a link there. He knows the coach there very well. I think that'll be an interesting one, but I think we'll have enough. RJ, just, they, they worry me a little bit. I'm not convinced anybody knows actually what they're capable of. We'll learn a mm. lot over this next little period of time. Uh, what how did you feel after will... the? After, how did you feel after this sort of mini tour this summer? Oh, it's the same old story. There's the hope that kills you. It looks like everything's going well, and then you lose in the last second, and it's an Edinburgh player that scores, and you just think, you know, these scripts always seem to be set when you start to get a little bit Scottish negativity. But um, players got to play. We left some boys at home. You know, those are always little comforts that you maybe take, as Gregor learnt about certain players has he learned good or bad or indifferent is he in a better position to pick squads i certainly hope so um you know i think going on tour is something that you learn so much about people about their performance about their training about how they fit into the squad hopefully that's going to bode very well for when we hit the autumn tests question the fifth how will the scotland women do in the upcoming rugby world cup they're in a monster pool. They've got the Kiwis, the Aussies, and Wales. Is there a way they can find they can find a way out of this pool stage and get into the knockouts? 
I mean, the achievement to get there is is monumental. I know heaps of them. They're amazing people, great role yep. models. They're smashing glass ceilings. They won't. They're the best players we've got. Um, they're getting better because they've yep. got time on task now. They're preparing for it. They're being well coached, well, uh, well drilled. The analysis is taking a big up. You would love to think we could beat Wales. Wales are similar to Scotland, and the, the players are now got pro contracts. They're spending more time on task. They're going to they're going to be gunning for that game as well. That's going to be a That's huge be a game one. for both teams. Yep. The the Kiwis are. You know, they're different level there. They've been pros. They've pulled a couple of, you know, Tyler Nathan Wong's come out of the Sevens program to go in. Uh, Ruby Tui's done the same. The, the, the size they've got up front, the experience they've got, that's, that's just tough. I mean, that's, uh, that's almost an England style performance. That one's going to, going to be difficult. Aussie kind of similar. I mean, these, these athletes are, are training well. They've, some of them are crossover athletes, like I said about Tim Walsh plucking players out the sure. for the Sevens program. So if if we can beat Wales and put in some decent performances, they're going to learn so much from the experience. Mm. So are we going to get out of the group? It looks unlikely, but this group are desperate to do well. They're training really hard. They're a close knit bunch. They they're really backing each other. So you know, stranger things have happened. Japan beat the Springboks. So if we can if we can beat Wales beat Aussie Kiwis will be tough we'll be pretty happy with life I think I like that okay finally question the sixth I want you to think about this one if if you could pluck one current player from anywhere in the world and just drop him into the Scotland men's team who would that player be and how much difference would he make well, Dupont's the one everybody wants. Um, mm. He he's going to make a difference to any. I mean, the All Blacks would take him, I reckon. Aaron Smith might not be very happy with me saying that, but I think most people would take <laughs> Dupont. I feel like he would shout about it a little bit. Yeah, um, <laughs> Dupont would come in. He would be unbelievable. He would just instill confidence. It's such an important role to dictate play. But then, you know, you also want some big. Hulk in the second row, or you know, a tight head prop that's going to, but I think Dupont is hard to see past him. He's probably the best player in the yeah. world. He might be one of the best ever, depending on what he can go on and do. I think yeah, I always feel to be crowned the best ever, you have to have produced some, you have to have something to show for it. So if he can claim a World Cup, uh, I think Dupont's probably the one I would, I would take. There was that old show, The Spitting Image, where they sort of made those puppets uh, of yeah. celebrities and stuff i feel like dupont looks like the puppet version of himself he looks like <laughs> yeah there's there's a few people i sometimes look at and wonder if they're a puppet <laughs> <laughs> oh my word this has been so much fun i i'm gonna ask right now if we can do it again sometime in the future because i i want it on record that yes we can do this again Oh, 100% because we've not even talked about being in America or there's a whole load of stuff still going. Uh, I did tell you I was going to talk of, The too amount much. of script I left on the floor today, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I do. I love it. How you started, you told me at the beginning that it's very scripted and you're going to make sure you deal with everything. And then I started talking and just completely derailed you. <laughs> not at all. That, that was my goal. That was my hope. It went 
smashingly. And now I still have a whole bag of stuff to ask you about that you have no idea about. It's great. Well, I'll be back. I will be <laughs> back. Anybody asking me to talk and not tell me to shut up is my is my best mate. <laughs> well, Bruce Aitchison, thank you so very much for joining us here on the Scrum of the Earth. Is there anything left? Anything that you know you were kind of expecting me to ask about or hoping I would I would have covered that I didn't even touch upon? Anything for Edinburgh fans? Uh no, I just uh, I, I love I love when people get in touch and connect and and I try and respond to everything. So if anybody sends me a tweet or anything, I, you know, I'll try and get back to you. If you're ever in Edinburgh, please come and we'll entertain you and I'll show you around. I'll give you the Bruce tour. Uh, it tends to be I coached this club or I played there or I missed a goal there or I did something there. So you're more than welcome to come and thank you for giving me the chance. Well, my uh, a, a big birthday present a couple of years ago was from my wife, a trip to Scotland and then COVID happened and that trip never happened. So it's still, it's still kind of lurking there in the background. Uh, I'm guessing next summer is when I'm going to be in Scotland. So uh, happy days. You might hear, you might hear a little, a little rapping on your door at that point. Yeah. Nice one. Well, people have said things to me like, Oh, you should come. And then they've been surprised when I've turned up. So uh, it's probably time people started doing that to me. So absolutely. You're more than welcome. (laughs) Well, Sir, you are one of a kind. I'm very happy to have you on the pod. It's been fantastic talking to you. I can't wait to do it again soon. Um, Yeah, Happiness is Egg-Shaped has been uh, a source of inspiration for me, I think for others as well. Um, I know lots of people who enjoy your hospitality and all the things you bring to the Edinburgh experience. Um, I'm just really grateful to have you on today. It's been fantastic. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Good to speak to you. Well, my friends, that does it for this bonus episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Bruce was just fantastic. I hope to catch up with him again in the very near future. In the meantime, it's been quite a while since I've gotten a nice review. So if you've been putting it off, you know, please take a second to drop me some stars and some nice words. Also, anytime you want to get in touch, please do so. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. You can find me on Instagram or email, whatever you like. So for now, that will do it. And to all of you all over the globe, Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon and be well.